0: Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the podcast. I hope you hit that subscribe button and I hope you're digging what we're doing here. Lord knows I've been digging what I've been doing lately, including getting all these new five-star reviews for helping people do what I love the most. No, not talking about old wrestling, but that's second I'm talking about helping families just like yours save tens of thousands of dollars at save with Conrad.com is what we're talking about. We would love to help you save some cash right now. If you're in a 30 year loan, if you've got a second mortgage, if you've got credit card debt. There's never been a better time to save money than right now. Just passed my 19 year anniversary in the mortgage business. And I've never been able to offer rates as low as I can right now. I've also never been licensed in as many states. If you can hear my voice, there's a good chance I'm licensed in your state and it's free to find out how much money you can save right now at savewithconrad.com. And how's this for starters? No house payments for two months, but don't take my word for it. Just ask Joseph in Alexandria, Virginia. He gave us a five-star review and said, fantastic service, great attention to detail, simple and easy process. How about over in Perryton, Texas? Jarrell says Conrad, David, and Jennifer were complete professionals and I had recommended them already to a couple. I couldn't put them over more if I tried. Thank you again for helping us out in a major way. I won't forget it. What about up in Gallatin, Texas? William gave us a five-star and he says, Jimmy did a fine job keeping me informed and working through a couple of unique things involving our original loan would be sure to recommend this fine team to anyone about christina moving down from new york city yep she wrote as first time home buyers coming from out of state naturally this is a very stressful process but save with conrad was a blessing the entire team is helpful courteous and just made the entire experience so much easier and more pleasant than it could have been i can't thank save with conrad enough thank you for everything you've done for my family The reviews keep on coming, guys. Five-star reviews, one after another. You're going to save a boatload of cash if you're in a 30-year loan. We're going to show you how to pay your house off faster and with cheaper monthly payments. Maybe you've been throwing your money away on rent. You don't need a huge down payment or perfect credit to buy a house. We can help you make it happen right now. And maybe best of all, if you've got credit card debt, I can save you five, six, seven, even 800 bucks a month. Find out how much money you can save right now for free at savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Oh, and did I mention interest rates in the twos? I can't believe that's real, but just last week we locked a bunch of new loans with interest rates in the twos. My only advice to you is hurry. Barry Habib is the foremost expert on interest rates. You've probably seen him on every cable news service. Just last week, he advised that we're on borrowed time with these rates. The time to act is now. Get ahead of this. You're going to be kicking yourself that you missed this once in a lifetime opportunity. Keep more of your own money. Go to savewithconrad.com right now before it's too late. There's no better time to say, I love you, and the most hated jeweler in America is at it again. You've heard us say, I hate Stevensinger.com, and you've heard us rave about his famous roses. But Steven Singer has been selling diamonds and bridal jewelry for four decades. Whether you have someone or something to celebrate, Steven is there for you. Ready to take the next step? Steven has a ready-for-love engagement ring collection that's no hassle, no risk, expertly picked engagement rings that are ready to go. Don't worry, Steven won't let you mess this up. He's been selling online for over two decades, but recently he's kicked everything up a notch to better serve his friends and guests online. He has real expert jewelers on call to help you find the perfect ring or gift through new virtual video appointments, calls, texts, chats, or emails, all with extended hours. On top of that, he offers the best guarantee in the business with a full 100-day, 100% money-back guarantee and free shipping. Interest-free financing is available online too, and that's just the beginning. Gifts that say I love you every single day, backed with decades of experience in the comfort of your own home, it's easy. Just go to ihateStevensinger.com. Fast, free, and safe shipping. Steven Singer Jewelers. That's ihateStevensinger.com. Hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to 83 weeks with the founder of Nitro, the man who invented the NWO. He convinced Hulk Hogan to be a bad guy, and he kicked Vince McMahon's ass. Not once, not twice, not three times, 83 times in a row. Ladies and gentlemen, here he is, the uncrowned king of the Monday Night War, Eric Bischoff. Eric, how are you, man?
1: wow what an intro why don't we just end it right here because i don't know that it'll get any better
0: No, it will we've got a lot to talk about today this is going to be a fun show it's the good the bad and the ugly no it's not a clint eastwood movie it's fall brawl 1995 but before we get into it i I gotta tell you i saw something i never imagined i would see this week on twitter i actually got in a dm and then it was posted for everyone to see a picture with you and uh GCW superstar, Matthew justice. What in the world were you doing? Hanging out with justice,
1: dude. You know, Matthew was coming through Cody. He was, uh, as as I found out, he had been wrestling in South Dakota and was on his way home to uh, Cleveland, which is where he's from and decided, nah, screw it. I got nothing to do when I get home. I think I'm going to rent a car and drive around Wyoming and Montana. So he did, which I think is a really cool thing. I love sp- spontaneous things like that. So he, he jumped in the car and I got a a, a text from him or a, a, a tweet from him saying, hey, I'm going to be driving through Cody. I'd love to have a beer. And I, I, I said, oh, well, I can't do it tonight. I've got other things I'm committed to, but, you know, Hit me tomorrow if you're in town. And I was thinking, no, oh, he probably won't. You know, it's oftentimes people are driving through and they're on their way to somewhere else. So I, I didn't think he'd really be around the following day. But lo and behold, uh, he reached out to me. I, what day was that? Thursday, I think. And uh, reached out and said, hey, I'm in town. Can we meet for a beer? So I, I dropped what I was doing and went into town for about an hour and hung out with him and had a great time. Super guy.
0: Super really guy. Super fun to watch too. I, uh, I had the, the pleasure of seeing him a few times at some GCW shows and good Lord, that dude, uh, he'll take some punishment. Follow him on Twitter. If you haven't already, it's at thrash justice. And you'll see that picture of him and Eric. It just knocked my socks off. Like, wow. I even texted him back and I said, dude, what the fuck are you doing in Wyoming? Cause of all places to be visit, like it feels to me like you live at the far end of the earth. Like there's no one around for miles and miles. And what business would anybody have even going through the area unless they're on vacation with their family or something? And I don't know. I just couldn't have called it, but I, it made my day to see that picture. So I want to give him a shout out right here at the top of the show.
1: Yeah. you know, and this wasn't the first time I've, you know, I've met people, you know, several times before who have come through Cody uh, on vacation or on their way to somewhere else. And, you know, look, if somebody's in, and I'm not pitching shows shows.com here, but I guess I am, but I don't mean to do it. So obviously, but um, you know, if somebody's an every shows member and they're part of the family, um, if they're coming through Cody, you know, just give me 24 hour heads up and I'll, I'll do everything I can to, to, to meet you in town, show you around, whatever I can do to help you enjoy your time. you are here in the Rocky mountains.
0: Well, I'm glad that you, uh, want to be the tour guide and make everybody smile. Cause unfortunately I'm going to make you frown a little bit today. Cause this is not the best show that WCW ever did fall brawl 95, but I'm excited. We're covering it. We just passed a bit of an anniversary. Uh, This past Thursday was the 25th anniversary of WCW Fall Brawl 1995. It happened in Asheville, North Carolina, before a sellout crowd of 6,600 fans. There's approximately 5,100 who paid a gate of roughly $72,000 at the Asheville Civic Center. And this is the third fall brawl event out of eight total. It's going to do a 0.48 buy rate with about 113,000 buy. It's going to bring in 1.21 million and that's the lowest of any pay-per-view that Hulk Hogan had appeared on and the lowest of the year for WCW. I love the war games concept, but it does by 95 start to feel a little less than did you think when you inherited the the, the top seat or earned the top seat in WCW that war games was a, a hallmark tentpole event or did you feel like it was something that you just had to. Well, we've got to do it because we've
1: always done it. Well, I think it was still relatively – it was only about three years old, I think you pointed out, in 1995. So it, it was – for a WCW pay-per-view, it was a relatively um, – a newer pay-per-view. As we've discussed You know, in the past, I think as recently as last week on the show, <clears throat> there are certain pay- pay-per-views that you just – you know are going to do well, and there are some that you know probably won't. Uh, For whatever reason, time of year, the fact that it's a relatively new pay-per-view, it doesn't have a lot of history, whatever. And this was one of those pay-per-views that kind of fell into the category of, you know, if we can break a million or a million and a half in revenue, it served its purpose. But nobody had high expectations of it, regardless of who was on the card.
0: I wasn't necessarily asking so much about fall brawl as I was war games as a concept you know, that had been mm-hmm. around since the crockett era. And, and at this point it's been around for a de- or for at least a decade. Did you feel like at this point, you know, some events like the Royal rumble seem to never get old and they never go away. And it's something fans look forward to forever. And the company really props it up as maybe being their third, most important pay-per-view behind WrestleMania and SummerSlam, but was war games. Like, and the reason I bring this up is because you've told us before, that most fans believe that Starcade was sort of a hallmark event. It's the WCW WrestleMania, if you will. But you sort of viewed Halloween Havoc as that. Did you feel like this is another Crockett carryover, that War Games concept that you're just sort of saddled with? Or did you really like the concept and were excited to present it here?
1: I didn't really like the concept. And, well, let me be clear. Sometimes I talk faster than I should. It's not that I didn't like the concept, the 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 conceit, the idea, the ideation, if you will, baby, of war games. Um kind of cool. Kinda makes sense. It, co- it can make sense. But you know, you pointed out, like, for example, Royal Rumble and and how that became a tent pole event for WWE. And I think one of the reasons for it is because of the outcome of Royal Rumble sets the stage of what's going to happen for the next six or eight months. Theoretically used to more the more so than it does today. Um, war games didn't have that element. It was a spectacle. It was different, very unique in, in, in its own way. Um, but that alone, I don't think, made War Games really that viable. And since it wasn't the pay-per-view that kind of helped set the tone for what was going to come, it was really—I hate to say it—it was—it was just another pay-per-view um, that was unique in, in the format because it was War Games. But regardless of what happened in War Games, it. You know, other than, you know, ending some storylines and beginning others, it was just another pay-per-view, but it was another pay-per-view that was pretty cool because it was unique. It was cool back then. I think today would probably fall flat on its ass, but you know, back then it was kind of cutting edge.
0: Let's, uh, let's talk about the news and notes as we head in here, but first I want to remind you that there's really two big matches on this card. Of course the war games main event, but the other is Arn Anderson Rick Flair in a one on one match? And I want to remind you again, we're not just anywhere. We're in Nashville, North Carolina. And Meltzer would even write, most there live felt it was Flair and Anderson and not the war games that was the main draw of the show. And that's probably true locally, and I'm sure we'll debate that later about nationally, but at least in the state of North Carolina, that's a big deal.
1: You could see it. In the audience, you know, we're, we're talking about 1995 here. And I think you said we had 5,100 paid fans, about 6,000 plus in the arena for WCW. That was a big night in 19, you know, pre-nitro, pre-NWO still coming off of a miserable five or six year track record in the house show business and pay-per-view business. WCW was shedding a lot of shedding a lot of baggage. It had been carrying around for a long time, um, in, for us to even get, you know, a $72,000 house. <laughs> again, context is king and and at that point in time, that was a pretty big day for us. But more than the money, for me was the energy, the reaction in the crowd. We had gone from, you know, 2 years earlier, you know, our our crowds eh. They were just kind of there. They weren't really into it all that much. There were exceptions. Don't get me wrong. There had been exceptions. But for the most part, when it came to television in particular, you know, WCW Saturday night or our syndicated shows, our crowds were just – they were background noise. They were props. They weren't really involved and invested in the product. And I think if you, you know, you see the show, particularly, you know, with Arn and Rick, we'll we'll get to that. But the crowd was – they were lit. They were ready to play. It was fun. And, and it was largely because of the history between Arna. and by the way, the way the story was set up, I, I got a bigger kick out of watching the promos for this match. than I did watching the match and the match was fantastic, but the promos and the backstory and the, the anticipation leading up to this was, was pretty awesome.
0: Do you have a moose near the caboose that needs to be tamed? I'm talking to Harry big, need some support. Thankfully, our sponsor today, Manscaped, has you covered to keep the hair looking nice and trimmed and feeling supported. Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family. Jewels. Blue guy. Hear that? That's your moose asking about Manscaped. Listen, we've all had a situation where we wanted to get a little extra attention down there. We pulled out the old straight razor Jones and well, looked like Ric Flair was in the main event all over the bathroom. The Manscaped engineering team has perfected the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created. It's the Lawnmower 3.0. The Lawnmower 3.0 is a waterproof deal that includes an LED light. It's made with the Advanced Skin Safe technology, which you already know and love because it reduces the nicks and cuts on your little delicates or your big delicates. You can get this trimmer inside their Perfect Package 3.0, which also includes the Manscaped Crop Preserver. Ball deodorant, which I know that Dave is a big fan of, and the Crop Reviver Ball Toning Spray, which attorney Mike Dawkins tell me work wonders on his old wrinkly attorney nuts. These are also both super practical, they smell great too, and for a limited time, when you order the perfect package kit, you get two count them two free gifts. You get the Shed Travel Bag and the Manscaped Anti Chafing Boxer Briefs, which Pondwater Dave tells me keeps him fresh when he's delivering Flaming Hot Cheetos all over mississippi the manscaped anti-chafing cooling boxer briefs have got to be part of your collection you're going to love them the manscaped boxer briefs have optimal temperature control with their crop cooling technology while keeping your pride and joy supported boys and girls we're trying to get rid of your swamp ass okay you got to get this. the waistband is also super elastic to reduce chafing and rubbing plus when your girl sees this logo She's going to know she's got a real Manscaped man and well, that'll pay dividends. You pair these boxer briefs with their pH balancing liquid products like the crop preserver and you're ready for anything. You really got to try this shit out for yourself. Don't take my word for it. Get 20% off and free shipping by visiting manscaped.com forward slash 83 weeks. That's manscaped.com forward slash 83 weeks. And your code is automatically applied. Your balls will thank you. To get 20% off and free shipping when visiting manscaped.com forward slash eighty three weeks, the code is auto applied. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com forward slash 83 weeks from the moose to the caboose, always use the right tools for the job. It really is. And I got to give you props, man. You guys did a great job by positioning this one, you know, not just because of the Arn and and flare thing. But just the history of Jim Crockett promotions, it's, this is happening. This war games match is happening in North Carolina here. Of course, we said this one's in Nashville, but in 96, it's in Winston Salem, 97, Winston Salem, 98, Winston Salem, 99, Winston Salem. And then by 2000, well, the wheels are off and it's in Buffalo, but you know, if this is sort of a, an old school gimmick match that was created in this area, it makes sense to continue to feature it in that market. And, uh, I just think that's good planning by you or Zane or whoever was helping with that.
1: Yeah, I would give that one to, um, you know, I don't give a lot of credit to Gary Jester for good reason. Um, but I think Gary's influence on the decision was the right one. You know, Gary Gary liked the traditional NWA markets. You know, part of it was because it was easy for him and he, he wasn't the most uh, out of the box thinker, <laughs> let's put it that way. So it was really easy for Gary to, and I know this sounds like a knock and I don't mean it to, but Gary had long standing relationships within that, you know, Southeast part of the country and the building managers and promoters and radio stations and all the things you need in the local market to, to make sure it work. And Gary did have good relationships. there, long longstanding ones. So I think that was part of the reason he felt so strongly about it because it was comfortable for him and he knew he could deliver in those markets. Um, but I think it, for whatever the reason, I think it was a good, good choice on Gary's part and Zane's. Zane did a lot of work with Gary as well. And, and, no doubt had a tremendous influence on the success of the promotion itself. But in terms of choosing the markets, that was probably more Gary Jester.
0: I'm, uh, I'm fascinated by what you just slipped in there when you said, I don't give Jerry, Gary Jester a lot of credit and you couldn't help yourself and said for good reason, is it, did you feel like he betrayed you at the end of your WCW run? Did you not like that? It felt like he had communication with the newsletters or why would you go to the place of? For good
1: reason. I, I just, you know, looking back, you know, h- had I been paying closer attention, frankly, um, and, and been a little bit more uh, – been a little bit less trusting, that's probably a better way to say it. I, I would have been – I, I would have watched Gary much more closely. As it were, Gary, Gary was at his core a very, very political animal. I think Gary's interest in being in the business had a lot more to do with being able to kind of integrate himself into the the cloak and dagger political machinations of what went on behind the scenes. I think, you know, Jim Barnett was the same way. Jim thrived on that stuff, man. If there wasn't any shit going on, he was bored. I mean, almost if you'd walk by Jim's office and Gary, too. Um, Jim was much more, um, outgoing and, and cared less about what other people thought, I guess because he was older and he just didn't care anymore. You know, Gary was a little bit more, um, discreet in, in his political maneuverings and communications with, you know, dirt sheet writers and leaking information. And I don't think Gary ever got up on, and I'm guessing, I don't know. I never talked to Gary about this. This is just my observation from 25 years later, but looking back on it, you know, I don't think Gary meant to do harm. I don't think, you know, you know, his, his discretions or indiscretions, I should say, when talking to people outside of the company about what was going inside of the company, I don't think it was nefarious in the sense that he had a plan and was hoping to undermine anybody. I don't think it was like that. I don't, I just think his judgment was such and his need was such to engage in that kind of dirt sheet backstage rumor and rumor mongering was probably more entertaining to Gary than anything else in his life because he didn't really have much of one and him and Barnett were the same you know Jimmy you walk by Jim's office i my boy my boy any dirt today I mean Jim would come out and say it and 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 enjoy you know if you if you stopped in his office and had a cup of coffee on your way back from the coffee machine and you stopped by Jim's office and sat down with him man he he'd love to spend an hour just you know Talking about the rumors and innuendo, innuendo, and what might be going on in WWF, and you know who may be coming into WCW in the future, and you know he would. Jim was really good at leveraging his relationship with Ted because early on, Jim Barnett was somebody that Ted Turner was familiar with. Early on, talking about 1988 and 89, when when Turner bought Crockett Promotions out of bankruptcy, and Jim was a, you know, a, an important piece of that puzzle in that moment. So Jim had a relationship with Ted, but it, he made it seem like it was a much bigger, much closer relationship than in fact it really was. But, uh, it was fun watching Jim work and Gary was much like Jim, you know, just not quite as obvious about it. And I, and I can't help but, you know, lose respect for that. Right. I, I don't respect people that share inside information with people outside of the company. I, I just, to this day, i I mean, that's, that's treason. That's, you might as well steal money out of my wallet when I'm not looking or just take off with my car when I'm in the store, you know, getting a bag of chips or something. I mean, it's, to me, it's no different than stealing money when you do that type of thing. And I just can't help it. It's the way I feel.
0: On October 2nd, 1995, Meltzer would report after a handshake deal on live TV, Turner Broadcasting, which among its Numerous holdings include World Championship Wrestling, is merging with Time Warner. The combination of the two would result in the largest media conglomerate in the world, including holdings like TBS, CNN, Time Magazine, Time Warner Cable, TVKO, Sports Illustrated, People Magazine, the Atlanta Hawks, the Atlanta Braves, TNT, and HBO. WCW would be roughly 120th of 1% of this gigantic organization wcw officials were celebrating when the deal went down but realistically any talk of anything in regard to what this means is premature lord we know what it meant but it was probably a little while before you started to feel it right
1: yeah interesting i may have discussed this with you once before i can't remember but when you know what again this is one of the reasons I enjoy doing this with you so much is because it forces me to kind of go back to moments in time and, and remember or research in some cases things that were actually happening in that moment uh, from my perspective, you know, my two eyes and being completely naive. Look, I, I had never worked in a corporate environment before. I never worked for a publicly owned company before I had never, you know, been a president of a company that, you know, had over a hundred employees and close to 70 or 80, you know, talents under contract. I mean, this was all new shit to me, man. I, every, I was learning on the job every single day and there were certain things I was completely ignorant about, not stupid, but ignorant. I didn't understand. I had no experience. I had no knowledge right. of certain things. And one of the things that I was ignorant of was what happens in case of a merger. So I took everything at face value. You know, I read the headlines. I, you know, I read all wow, this is the biggest media company in the world. And Ted's, and I had so much faith in Ted Turner. You know, I mean, he was like my he was my hero, you know, for, a, as an entrepreneur because he had accomplished so many things against incredible odds. And I just admire people like that. And I thought given my, my feelings about Ted and my confidence in Ted and Turner broadcasting, everybody in it, that this merger would be awesome because that's what everybody was telling me. Right. Internally, you know, it was, Oh my God, this is going to be at Ted's. Yeah. You know, Ted's dream was to own a network. Ted really wanted to own NBC, CBS or ABC. I think it was NBC was the one that he really wanted. Um, that was his dream, and, and the way it was kind of positioned, or maybe it's just the way I interpreted it at the time, was that, yeah, you know, Ted may not have gotten a network, but man, this is even bigger than that. So all of us were happy for everybody else in the company who was happy. Mm-hmm. It was being positioned as a very positive thing internally, and none of us, especially me, because I'd never been through it before, and had never worked for a big corporation before, I had no reason to doubt anything anybody was telling me. So of course, yeah, we were we were excited because it meant that WCW was going to be a stronger property. If Turner Broadcasting was stronger as a result of the merger with Time Warner, then WCW by default would be stronger as a result of the merger. Um, so yeah, it was all you know, puppies and sunshine and you know, warm apple cider and all kinds of good shit when it was first announced, and it it didn't get ugly for a while. Now I remember, kind of just one other one other note, I guess, as a part of this. Um, it was positioned, it was positioned as such that, you know, Jerry, Jerry Levin had a Christmas party. I was at, I may have told you about this before. I don't want to repeat myself if I have, but I I went to a a Christmas party. My wife and I, Mrs. B went to a Christmas party at a, a, A guy by the name of Terry McGurk. Terry McGurk, I think, was the president of Turner Broadcasting. He was Ted's right-hand man. Terry McGurk, there were pictures of Terry McGurk over at Techwood, the old original, you know, TBS headquarters, where you could see, you know, Terry McGurk, you know, fresh out of college in his, you know, painter's pants, you know, painting the walls in in the original Turner offices over at Techwood. He had been with Ted for a long, long time. And Mm -hmm. probably right after this fall brawl that we're talking about, Um, There was a Christmas party at Terry McGurk's house and I was uh, shockingly invited. (laughs) Not sure why they invited me, but because everybody there was very, very high, much higher up. On the food chain than I was, even as senior vice president of WCW, they were all, you know, heads of the Scott Sassa type people and Brett Siegel and you know all executive committee people and people that I I knew of but had never met before. And here's Lori and I <laughs> from WCW, and I, I remember there was a toast. It was Ted and Gerald Levin and Terry McGurk, and there was this toast, you know, early in the evening about how excited. Excited Gerald Levin was because, and I was standing four feet from him when this thing was less than that. It was a small house, believe it or not. It wasn't a big mansion. It was actually a pretty, pretty modest home that Terry McGurk lived in. And uh, Lori and I are standing there, and I've got my cocktail in my hand, and I'm feeling the spirit, and it's, you know, holidays, and everybody's in a good mood. And Gerald Levin got up and he gave this great speech. And uh, I'll paraphrase it, but essentially what Gerald Levin said was look, Time Warner is this legacy media powerhouse. My words, not his. Time Warner is the largest entertainment company in the world or something to that effect, positioning Time Warner and its strength and its legacy and its deep roots within the entertainment industry and financial resources and all those things. And when, and what really hooked me and, and got me so excited was when Levin, you know, looked at Ted and he goes, you know, this merger represents an opportunity to combine the entrepreneurial spirit, the DNA of Ted Turner, Turner Broadcasting is one of entrepreneurship and vision. And by merging these two companies, we're going to have the best of both worlds. We're going to have the strength and the power and the leverage in the entertainment business to help Turner Broadcasting become even more successful with its vision in, 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 in the entrepreneur spirit that is so important in Turner Broadcasting. And by the way, that part was true. Ted Go back and read anything you want to read about Ted before before CNN became CNN and Turner Broadcasting literally became Turner Broadcasting. Ted was a he was a running and gunning entrepreneur, smart as could be, but he was an entrepreneur's entrepreneur. He loved risk, and Ted, when I say Ted, I make it sound like I knew him personally, and I, I don't mean to do that, but I, I think anybody that worked in Ted worked in Turner Broadcasting looked at Ted Turner as the epitome of an entrepreneur. He went out and bought the MGM film library when everybody thought he was mm-hmm. fucking insane for doing it. Yep. And, and it ended up being one of the big best decisions that he ever made. And all of the other acquisitions and things that he built, including CNN, which up until probably around this time, 95, 96, this is right before Fox kind of started competing with Turner in in 24 hour cable news. Um, CNN was the most prominent, well-respected news organization on the planet. And Ted started that with just a vision, and he cobbled it together and he believed in it. And it was all that it was that entrepreneur spirit of Turner Broadcasting that Joe Levin was talking about. So I left that Christmas party. I was in the spirit. I was feeling so good. I felt like we can take over the world now at WCW. And I don't mean with regard to WWE Africa. I just meant that the opportunity for us to grow and expand in this new environment was really exciting. And a couple of weeks later, somebody pulled me aside. And, you know, as I'm walking around, still basking in the glow, my after sex cigarette moment, if you will. From Gerald Levin's speech, and and, and I'm walking around, you know, like a happy idiot. And Somebody pulled me aside and said, look, Eric, I don't mean to burst your bubble, but here's what's going to happen. A year from now, I want you to sit down with me and have a cup of coffee and talk about how much you think this Time Warner merger is going to be good for everybody. Because within a year, maybe 18 months, you're going to start seeing dramatic changes in the way things are done around Turner. And I thought to myself, yeah, what a— what a negative guy. I don't remember who it was, actually. Um, but I just think, remember thinking, God, you were so negative. Why would you think like that? Why would you even let thoughts like that in your fucking head? You know? And lo and behold, he was absolutely right. He was absolutely right. But it took a good year, year and a half, for the dust to settle on a major merger like that. Because you're going to spend a year or so getting a feel for things and moving things around. And that's, you know, about a year after the merger was announced is when things started really going shitty.
0: All right, check it out. You've heard us talk about it for a long, long time. If you're not listening to me right now on Raycon wireless earbuds, what the hell are you doing with your life? Here's the thing. Raycon wireless earbuds sound great. You already know that. What you may not know is they started about half the price of the other premium wireless earbuds on the market. But when I say they sound just as great, I'm really selling these things short. They have more bass than any other pair of earbuds I've ever had. Now, I didn't discover that on my own. Good old Jim Ross told me. Because if there's one thing you know, it's that Jim Ross is all about that bass. He wants to see that ass drop, baby. Fun fact, somewhere, JR is jamming out to some old school Snoop Dogg, and he's got these everyday E25 earbuds in, and he's rocking it, baby. He's letting them back up into it. These are the best ones yet. Six hours of playtime, seamless Bluetooth pairing, more bass, of course, come on, Jim, and a more compact design that gives you a nice noise-isolating fit. I want to mention, too, you've heard Eric talk about this. He's got a little bit of cauliflower ear. Traditional earbuds are not comfortable for Eric. He's rocking the Raycons every day. How is that? Well, because they're so comfortable. They're perfect for conference calls or binging 83 weeks, like this marathon four-hour episode today. Unlike some of those other options too, man, these Raycon earbuds, they're stylish. You don't like a freaking goof with white stems or cords hanging out of your ear. No, you're going to look slick and it's going to sound great. You already know that this company was founded by Ray J and we all know he hit it first. But celebrities like Snoop Dogg, Melissa Etheridge, Brandy, J.R. Smith, Snoop Dogg, I said him twice because he's that cool. Mike Tyson and Rich the Kid are all obsessed with Raycons. And now's the time to get the latest and greatest from Raycon. Get 15% off your order at buyraycon.com slash 83 weeks. That's buyraycon.com slash 83 weeks for 15% off Raycon wireless earbuds. Buyraycon.com slash 83 weeks. That's B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N dot com slash 83 weeks. And we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. Let's talk about Sabu. Meltzer would write. The big joke going around is that when Eric Bischoff met with Sabu at the Miami tapings, he brought up having grown up in Detroit and watched his uncle wrestle and then talked about seeing his uncle lose the title to Hulk Hogan, confusing the Iron Sheik with the actual Sheik. The reason he miscalled Sabu's finisher as the Arabian Press is because Sabu told Bischoff the finisher would be the Arabian Press. However, Nick Patrick counted three on a move that wasn't supposed to be the finish. A lot to unpack here. Do you remember accidentally confusing the Iron Sheik with the original Sheik?
1: No, that's bullshit. That part never happened. The other part, you know, I, I did miscall. That that did happen. That was accurate. But as it was uh, it's often the case, you take one little piece of information or fact, which in this case, me miscalling the, that spot was, uh, and wrap it up in a conversation that I guess Dave must be telepathic or somehow have been able to ascertain the subject of the conversation and, and my, my my dialogue and my portion of it. Uh, but it wasn't true. It wasn't true. I, I don't think I really talked to – in fact, I'm sure I didn't. I didn't have conversations with Sabu. Was, guess what? There are people working there and there are people wrestling who I often didn't have contact with, especially if there were people that were there for short periods of time. So um, – once again, Dave took one grain of fact or truth in this case and spun it um, and somehow figured a way to work Hulk Hogan into the conversation. You know, that's what's
0: funny I, too, Eric. Is it, it's so, listen, I understand that people would say this and or read this and think, oh, Eric Bischoff's so stupid. Okay, I get that. But at the same time, like, let's just pretend for a minute that you, that that is what you were pitching. Oh man, I grew up watching your uncle. I saw him. Dropped the title to Hulk Hogan when I was a kid of 29 years old. You were 29. Like, it's not even timeline. It wouldn't match. I grew up. I remember I was a 29-year-old boy. No, come on. You were 29 when that happened. That's not even close to being accurate.
1: And I, and thank you for pointing that out because I hadn't even thought of that really. But I mean that's typical of of and it's you know when you, you and I know you you know you're, you're friends with Dave or friendly with Dave whatever yeah. the case may be and, and and that's fine with me. I look just because I don't necessarily respect somebody or get along with someone doesn't mean that my friends can't or shouldn't. I'm 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 not a child. I understand people have different relationships and all, and I'm perfectly comfortable with all that. But I also know sometimes when I go off on Dave, you know, n- not only you, Conrad, because you are friendly with him or friends. Um, but, but a lot of our listeners, you know, a lot of them love it. Let's face it. Not going to lie. You know, my, my, my social media f- feed is, is, is probably requesting in one way, shape or form, you know, Dave Meltzer burns on any given week, but to just make things up that are so stupid. And so obviously a lie and a misrepresentation and misleading and all of that, by the way, is because Dave Meltzer had and always has had an agenda. He's it's his own way of influencing the business. It's kind of weird, especially for a guy that's never been in the business for five minutes, he's never spent five minutes in a business. But his agenda, his personal agenda, which is based on likes and dislikes, like all of ours are, I guess. Um, but in Dave's case, it's so fucking obvious. And thank you for pointing it out. Yeah, when I was a kid growing up in Detroit, <laughs> at twenty-nine, by the way, I left. I left fucking Detroit when I was fifteen years old. Dave, you stupid. Mu- and no, by, by the way, not going to do it. i'm not gonna i'm not gonna call you i'm gonna call him a mucker father there you go that's as close as i'm gonna get today
0: softer gentler eric bischoff you know the other thing that's funny is the title switch didn't happen in detroit it happened in madison square garden so wrong state wrong city wrong year just that didn't happen i mean even when i read that in my research i'm like nope that's total bullshit And, and here's the thing i'm sure that someone told that to dave Like, I don't think that Dave would just sit down and say, Oh, let me make up something to shit on Eric or Hogan. I'm sure someone related, but it's like, guys, if you just do a little bit of backtrack, you'd be like, uh, that couldn't even be closely. That's not even, that's not even
1: something you could confuse. There's no chance. Well, and again, let's just take Dave out of the equation for a few minutes for, for all of those people who get sick of me talking about him. Um, I I probably, and those of you who love me love it when I bury Dave, don't worry. But this is, we're early in the show, but you were able to, you Conrad were able to pick that commentary out of Dave's newsletter and go, wait a minute, that makes no sense. Because a, you know, me, we've talked yeah. in the past, you're looking at the dates, you you're familiar with the business and, and what happened when and where. So it's easy for you to look at that and go, ah, nah, Dave's wrong there. That's bullshit. Call call, call an audible on that one. That's that, that didn't happen. That, that one was easy for you to recognize what I think frustrates me and others who have actually been in the business instead of being on the outside, looking in, trying to influence it is that there are so many examples just like that, but not as obvious to the average person or to even someone like you, who's not the average person, because you do study this stuff. You do research, you have been a fan for a long time and you know, shit. The average person that reads Dave's newsletter doesn't. Right. Or any other or any other newsletter. I promised I was going to take Dave out of it. That's the problem with dirt sheets and internet chats and, and and the like, because the information isn't accurate or real. It's second and third and fourth hand that's being presented as real. And more often than not, I can call bullshit on stuff because I was there and I saw it and I knew and I know, you know, the logistics behind, you know, what was going on at the time or not going on. But the average person doesn't. In some cases, you might not, you know, because these are, no, they're, they're not as obvious, you know, uh, it, it's not as obvious as pointing out the fact that as a kid watching that title change, you know, I would have been 29 years old living in Detroit when I, instead I was 27 years or whatever old I was and, and had, uh, two kids. I mean, come on, it's just, eh, whatever, let's move on.
0: Alright, Eric, let's run a timeout right now and tell everybody something you and I have been doing off the air that we've really enjoyed. Of course, we're talking about our friends over at Ancestry DNA. Now here's the thing: there's many paths to finding your family story. Whatever way you choose, tracing your family generations back with a family tree or uncovering your ethnicity with Ancestry DNA. Whatever you're looking for, it's easy to get started with Ancestry. An Ancestry DNA test will tell you where your ancestors are from and Ancestry's billions of records and millions of family trees let you discover their personal stories. You could find a famous relative or perhaps a photo of your great grandma as a little girl. Whatever you find, it's sure to change the whole way you look at your family history and yourself. After all, the story of your family is the story of you. Researching your family is a fun activity for the whole family. And the stories you learn about their history and your shared past can bring you closer together. We have had a great time doing this in my family. My mother's maiden name was Jones. Of course, my dad's the Thompson. These are kind of common names. So it's been really fun to separate the rumor and innuendo from our real story. An ancestry DNA can reveal ethnic origins and provide historical details that bring unique family stories to life. Ancestry DNA doesn't just tell you what countries you're from, but it can even pinpoint the specific regions within those countries, giving you insightful geographical detail about your history. You can trace the paths of your recent ancestors and learn how and why your family moved from place to place around the world. No other DNA test delivers such a unique interactive experience it's easy to start making discoveries with Ancestry. Just grab an Ancestry DNA kit and start a free trial to amplify your discoveries with Ancestry's billions of records. This has been a blast to do for me and my sister, my mom and dad, and even on Megan's side. We've had a lot of fun with this. Start exploring your family story today. Head to my URL at Ancestry.com forward slash 83 weeks to get your Ancestry DNA kit and start your free trial. That's ancestry.com forward slash 83 weeks. Let's move on. Let's talk about something that's, uh, also reported in the newsletter in Johnson city, I guess, figuring something could come up the ring announcer before they went on the air said for everyone to make noise and show us your signs, uh, the thought police then confiscated signs that they thought were offensive among the signs confiscated were Hogan rules Malenko versus Guerrero, Matt classic. Who's the man Paul Orndorff just asked Vader and WCW get a clue, read the observer to avoid huh. this problem on September 25th in Florence outside the building, they confiscated all signs and banners and had signs around the building saying no banners allowed in the building. Is this something that came down from Turner? Or is this an Eric Bischoff decision to remove some signs and banners?
1: No, it was, it was my decision. Turner didn't have any influence. over. I mean, well, they could have, you know, I mean, certainly I could have gotten a phone call from any number of people in Turner broadcasting that could have told me what I should and shouldn't do, but that didn't happen. You know, WCW was as about as an autonomous of, of an operation as you could possibly be. At least it was, you know, in 93, 94, 95, 96. It, it started the change, but for that three or four period of time, we, we were very autonomous. We had very little influence, control, concern, or communication with anybody from Turner broadcasting, unless we did something really, really fucking stupid, uh, like Bill Watts. Um, so no, that was my decision. And I, you know, looking back, I think it was a wrong decision. You know, I think, WWE has probably followed in my footsteps of wrong decisions in some cases. And I think the fact that there's such a, a strict ban on signs in WWE is one of the reasons that it's lost some of its energy. I mean, when you let fans express themselves, when you, when, when you let fans come in and, and, and tell you how they feel and cheer on their favorites or, you know, Take shots at people they don't that are not their favorites, the heels, if you will. Um, that's part of the fun, and when you take that fun away from the crowd, it definitely affects it. Now, there's a flip side, and I think this is probably one of the reasons why I I tried killing signs. You'll notice that when Nitro came along, I. I I reversed my decision and encouraged signs and, and so much so that I would grab signs that I found entertaining and walk down the aisle and walk to the ring with them, showing them to the camera. Cause I knew they'd get a lot of attention. It wasn't necessarily that I was doing that because I loved the signs so much, but it was my way of communicating to the audience that when you come to nitro, it's a party and you can bring your shit and have fun. But when I took the signs away back in 95, It was my thinking that it was too much of a distraction and that it did. And this was a legitimate issue. Signs began to become so common and, you know, fans were competing now with their signs to get the most attention um, that it obstructed the view. Of, of people who weren't necessarily carrying signs. So you got people, you know, once they see the hard camera light go on, because fans are pretty smart and they see that hard camera way up and across the ring. And they see that red light go on. They know they're on TV and they're all holding their signs up. Well, if you happen to be sitting behind those people, you're not able to see what's going on. And that was an issue, but it, Again, in retrospect, um, I was anxious to reverse that decision, encourage signs. And, and even in WWE, man, I know sometimes the signs are a pain in the ass and people do things and they write things that are inappropriate or maybe go against the creative grain or whatever, but that's the fun of it. That's what makes wrestling fun. Just like tailgating makes football fun. Yeah. No more tailgating now. No shit. No more football. Now football sucks now. I think wrestling, I think wrestling, AEW and WWE has done a much better job of holding up in a no-crowd environment than the NFL has. I'm just bored stiff with the NFL. I don't give a shit about the NFL. I really don't.
0: What do you think about the ratings
1: being so down for it? Were you surprised? No, I'm not surprised because it doesn't feel right you know i mean for the same reason we sh- none of us were surprised or should have been surprised that the ratings were down for professional wrestling because the crowd and the energy in the crowd is just as an important part of the show as anything else it shouldn't be a fucking mystery to anybody especially now um we've been talking about how important the crowds are on this show for almost 3 years soon to be 3 years um, so no, I wasn't surprised at all. It's sterile. It doesn't feel, I mean, the NBA, I think did a pretty good job. I was, you know, I actually watched some NBA games because of the way they were formatted and such. Um, and I think WWE has done a phenomenal job with Thunderdome in, and mitigating the, the negative impact of not having a crowd. I think AEW has done a, a great job. Of, of preventing their live shows and making it feel as close as you could to, 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 to having the energy that they previously had before COVID. But I, the NFL, and this is like, I don't know why we're talking about the NFL, but you asked me a question. And I've had a lot of caffeine. So here we go. I think the NFL has been getting for me, for me much less interesting over the last 10 years. And I know this, you know, the NFL is a league and it's a business. It's been getting bigger and all that. And I acknowledge that. But as a fan, I started really losing interest in the NFL. Now, let me preface. I've always been a very casual peripheral fan. I've never been a hardcore football fan in, in my entire life. There's been periods of my life when I've been more interested in it than others. But I've never been what, you know like a lot of people that just live and die for the NFL. I've never been one of those people. But one of the things I always liked about the NFL is teams had personalities and players stayed on those teams for longer periods of time than they do today. Once the NFL started moving teams around, you know, the, the teams lost their identities to me. You know, like the the Las Vegas Raiders, I'm sorry, that shit's never gonna roll off my tongue easily. it'll They'll always be the Oakland Raiders for me. And I'll always think of guys like John Matusak and and others who who are just, Lyle Alzado and, you know, those guys were the Oakland Raiders. That was their legacy. You know, Oakland was Starcade, and and Green Bay Packers were WrestleMania. I mean, they had their own identities and personalities that you could relate to because the players stayed with the teams for longer periods of time and you felt like you got to know them <clears throat> to a degree. And then once they started moving teams around into different cities, St. Louis Cardinals and Phoenix Cardinals, it started getting fucking confusing. And then with free agency and, and, and players just moving around so much, to me, it felt like the teams were losing their legacy. And there were exceptions. You know, It's one of the reasons why I've always been a Steelers fan because I think Steelers, the Packers, um, have done – You know, the Chicago Bears – a lot of teams, even though they haven't been outstanding teams, but they've really, in their own ways, have maintained their legacy and their history. And I still will follow teams like that. But for the most part, it's just all gotten to be too corporate for me. And now that they're letting politics kind of permeate everything about the sport and the and the presentation of it, now I'm really not interested. I'm really, really not And. You know, I think one of the mistakes that the NFL is making is getting too political. Regardless of who you you are or what you believe in or who you're going to vote for, I don't want to see it in football. I want to break from it. We hear – you can't talk about – you can't have a conversation with anybody today without it somehow getting back to politics. How's the wife of kids? Oh, man, this corona thing. Oh, God. I hope they do this. I hope they do that. I hope this guy gets an office. I hope that guy gets an office. Every You ask somebody about the weather and you're going to end up talking about p- something political. The fucking global warming, man. These fires. Oh, my God. The world's coming to an end. Jesus Christ. I just want to know how you're feeling today, brother. Don't Don't tell me the world's coming to an end. <laughs> But I think what's happened now with media and and especially, unfortunately, sport is it's become just another political, ideological outlet for whomever. And I, I just think that's sad.
0: Well, let's, uh, let's talk about wrestling a little more here. Um, collision in Korea. Is in the observer WCW ran two events over the past six weeks collision in Korea appears to have done a 0.15 buy rate, which is 30,000 buys for roughly 175 K and we don't have a buy rate yet on the K one pay-per-view, but it was done right about the same business or slightly better since both shows were on tape delay. The cost of the shows and the break-even points were considerably down from a typical pay-per-view show. A live pay-per-view appears to need a 0.25 to a 0.3 buy rate to break even. With heavier advertising budget, K1 was probably less profitable than the Collision in Korea event, even if it drew slightly more viewers. Initially, WCW was planning on doing two more taped K1 shows before the end of the year, but no word on any future dates, so I get the idea that it is at least no longer etched in stone. What can you tell us about Collision in Korea? We haven't spent a lot of time talking about that.
1: Well, there's not, I mean, there's a little bit to talk about there. You know, the deal, the, the basics of the deal was that WCW, We all, obviously we provide a talent um, were part of the event and all that there was no revenue from participating in that event again it was a state-sponsored event now I've subsequently talked to some people uh, in fact one individual who lives in Australia but used to live in South Korea and he reports exclusively on news and this was just about four months ago that I had this interview with this gentleman and he, he's been following and he he, he was following WCW uh, in in North Korea back in 95 so we had a really really interesting conversation. And he did tell me that there had been other events that the North Korean government brought in for probably the same purpose to show the world that North Korea isn't as isolated and backwards as everybody wants them wants wants to believe they are, whatever whatever the motives and goals of who's ever who was ever running North Korea at the time, Kim il-sung, I think. Um, but they would pay you know acts to come in and and perform and things like that. Now, WC, you know, maybe Inoki, you know, maybe he pocketed the whole thing and didn't want to let us know about it. That wasn't the way it was presented to us, but, but the deal really was that, you know, while there was no revenue for participating in the event, there was no gate to share. There was no broadcast rights to share. There was no traditional revenue to be shared as a result of the event in North Korea. But WCW, uh, wanted the pay-per-view rights, you know, new Japan really wasn't in the pay-per-view business, whereas WCW was. So that was part of the negotiation. And as such, it cost me absolutely nothing to air that pay-per-view with the exception of some editing. Um, you know, we shot the stand-ups, the ins and outs and so forth. We shot those over at WCW studios. So there was no real expense at all. In, in marketing that pay-per-view. And we did spend some money in advertising, but very little. Our pay-per-view providers spent quite a bit of money promoting it uh, and gave it a lot of promotion. But for the most part, it cost us about, you know, bucket of chicken and a six-pack of Mountain Dew. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: let's, tell, let's talk about another story that uh, involves two of your favorite characters ever. Uh, this is directly from The Observer. Supposedly, Jimmy Hart ran into Ted Turner in an elevator during midweek and a remark to Hart words to the effect of, we really kicked Vince's ass, which I guess tells you where the priorities lie. First of all, do you remember hearing that Ted ran into Jimmy Hart? And secondly, how would the report of that make it to the observer? And, and most of all, does that sound like something Ted would have said here in 95?
1: Well, not 95, because it didn't happen.
0: Well, <laughs> I, th- I think he just means in terms of, we got Hulk Hogan. We got macho man. I mean, oh, maybe I could be
1: oh. just reaching, you know, I, 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 you know, when it comes to Ted Turner, especially back in the nineties, if someone says, can you imagine Ted saying that the answer is almost always going to be yes. Right. I mean, cause he, he, he was the mouth of the South. <laughs> it's probably why him and Jimmy may have bonded on an elevator you know, um, he was captain outrageous. If you remember Ted Turner's, you know, press when he won the uh, courage cup or whatever it was, uh, yacht race that he participated in every year, uh, he was like, <laughs> you read the story about it, you know, Ted was, you know, half drunk or mostly drunk, you know, under a table when they cross the finish line or some shit like that. Ted was crazy. So I could see Ted saying something like that. It wouldn't surprise me. But to your point, how would it leave an elevator and get to Dave Meltzer? I think, you know, go back to what we were talking about earlier. You know, if it happened and I could see it happening. Um, If it happened, I could see Jimmy saying something to anybody, you know, casually, casually, it's not like he's divulging a state secret, right? Hey, right into the dad. He was really happy. you know things are going great. Jimmy was a, a pretty much of an optimist, generally when he was around other people. So I could see, you know, Jimmy coming back to the office and going into the booking room and there could have been any number of people there, and Jimmy would have made the comment, and then it would have been relayed to 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 Meltzer because that's how Meltzer got his news. Um, I could see it. There's no better time
0: to say I love you, and the most hated jeweler in America is at it again. You've heard us say I hate IHateStevenSinger.com, and you've heard us rave about his famous roses. But Steven Singer has been selling diamonds and bridal jewelry for four decades. Whether you have someone or something to celebrate, Steven is there for you. Ready to take the next step? Steven has a ready-for-love engagement ring collection that's no hassle, no risk, expertly picked engagement rings that are ready to go. Don't worry. Steven won't let you mess this up. He's been selling online for over two decades, but recently he's kicked everything up a notch to better serve his friends and guests online. He has real expert jewelers on call to help you find the perfect ring or gift through new virtual video appointments, calls, texts, chats, or emails, all with extended hours. On top of that, he offers the best guarantee in the business with a full 100 day, 100% money back guarantee and free shipping. Interest free financing is available online too, and that's just the beginning. Gifts that say I love you every single day, backed with decades of experience in the comfort of your own home, it's easy. Just go to IHateStevensinger.com. Fast, free, and safe shipping, Steven Singer Jewelers. That's IHateStevensinger.com. Meltzer is going to trash you for the MDA promos for Fall Brawl. He says, Boy, am I glad we don't have to see those MDA promos for Fall Brawl anymore exploitative crap like that just brings home how sleazy this business can be. I I don't get, maybe I didn't see what he saw. I thought it was a nice thing you guys were doing to bring awareness for the muscular dystrophy association. It felt like there was compensation involved and I don't know. It just feels weird to me that he would have that take. What can you tell us about the, the, the deal you were doing with MDA in this era?
1: Not a lot because I didn't do the deal. That would have been either a Mike Weber and or Sharon Cedello initiative if it came from within WCW. If it came possibly, it was part of a Turner Broadcasting uh, overall uh, initiative. And then it could have come down from someone in Turner Broadcasting that, hey, we're doing this. We want you to be a part of it. Come up with some ideas as to how you can help promote it. As to, you know, Dave's opinion of how sleazy and bad it is and exploitive it is, I mean, I I think you've done a very good job just now of reflecting just what a a negative person Dave can be when he's fulfilling his own personal agenda. And I think this is a good example of that.
0: The WCW magazine had originally been called the Wrestling Wrap-Up, and it ran from 89 to 91 and then from 91 to 94, it was launched as the WCW magazine. And we've talked about this before in July of 94, it's canceled. Uh, Meltzer would write, Colin Bowman from England was in the U.S. this weekend to try and renegotiate his deal to continue the WCW magazine. And no deal was made. While not a definite, the prevailing belief is the magazine is going to bite the dust. Uh, Bowman, of course, would wind up making a deal and do the magazine from 95 to 99. Any memories of, of Colin or the WCW magazine, good,
1: bad, or indifferent? Um, you know, for me, the magazine was more of a pain in the ass than anything else because, again, you know, the shows happened on a weekly basis. Um, WCW Saturday Night, you know, had its, its, its position. You had syndicated shows that were sometimes shot four weeks in advance at this time. And then you've got the additional, you know, time l- timeline in terms of the production and the stories and everything else that went into the magazine. So trying to trying to um, organize and and orchestrate the timing of news stories that the, because of the lead time that the magazine required and, and getting it shipped out to fans and things like that, by the time it hit the newsstands, trying to coordinate stories to make sure things were kind of along the same timelines was a real challenge. And to me, it wasn't worth it. The magazine was a pain in my ass. I didn't want the magazine. It wasn't, a, it ne- had never generated revenue. It, it went on the list of things like, you know, I know we're losing money every time we go out the door. So let's go out the door some more. Let's add more shows. Like somehow that was going to magically fix everything. The magazine was not that bad, but it was on the same sheet. It it might've been, you know, my number five or number six on on the list of things to make go away. Not because I didn't like the idea of a magazine, not because people that were working on it weren't working hard on it, but it had never been a source of revenue. And I didn't see it on the horizon. Nobody, you know, Colin or nobody else was coming to me and saying, yeah, but here's why it never made, you know, the question is Why? So one question that people don't ask themselves about life in general, but particularly about wrestling, just why? Nobody came to me and said, here's why it's not making any money and here's how we're going to change that. That conversation never happened. Nobody had the answer as to why or how. They just wanted to keep doing it. Because, well, we've always done that, and we need a magazine. Well, why do you need a magazine? Well, uh, WWF has a magazine. (laughs) Okay, good enough, I guess, for now. Next. (laughs) Thank you. You're excused. Next. But in my mind, the magazine just, it was such a pain in the ass. And since it wasn't making any money, it was just a matter of time before I could justify putting a bullet in it.
0: Let's get to the show. pretty excited about this. Uh, I guess before we do, we should talk about the main event. This is airing from inside the arena. This is like the pre-show. It's uh, it's on TV, so it's your last-minute sort of infomercial to buy the pay-per-view. But there are some angles that we're going to be hearing about later in the night, so we might as well discuss discuss it here. Meltzer would write: The main event show opened with a poorly acted angle where Hogan showed up at the building with the motorcycle given to him by or given to him in Los Angeles, surrounded by a dozen people paid to act like they were his fans. The giant then showed up driving a dungeon of doom monster truck and ran over the motorcycle this is to set up a monster truck battle on october 29th where the dungeon of doom monster truck will face the hulk hogan monster truck Meltzer would write i'm not making this up so listen i understand that sometimes we've got to we get this idea or this initiative or this campaign and we're going to do it so now we've got to sort of ease our way into or back into how do we get there so you need to have a reason to have monster trucks or an explanation so we're going to run over a motorcycle with one we've talked about the monster truck thing before briefly but remind some of our listeners who maybe missed that episode what in the world was going on with monster trucks in wcw here in 95
1: uh, i hadn't met and I, I can't remember how i met them it might have been through barry bloom actually Now that I think about it, Um, I had met the owners of Bigfoot. They were, I think they were in St. Louis, if I recall correctly. And I was really, you know, I was watching the monster truck business model and they were other than professional wrestling and maybe as successful as professional wrestling in some regards in terms of their live event model. I took Garrett, my son, man, when, when probably in 93, 92, 93, when monster trucks came to Atlanta, I took my son and a bunch of his buddies who they were real young at the time. And we all went to monster trucks and I was sitting there watching it at the, whatever the arena, it might've been the Omni. And I'm sitting there in the stands watching this and I'm looking around. I wasn't really interested in monster trucks. The kids were, but I'm looking around at the audience and I'm thinking, wait a minute, this is mom and dad taking kids out. There's $120 sitting right there between buying your ticket, buying your merchandise, whatever you're going to eat or drink while you're there. You know, these people, and there was a lot of them in this arena to watch monster trucks at a pretty high ticket. And I thought, there's something here. And I looked at the crowd and just – Observationally, it was like, well, this this audience really isn't that much different than a wrestling audience. They had disposable income, um, but they were—I don't want to say blue collar—but they were middle class, upper middle class, kind of an a, a, of a of a demo. But it was a family, and I think you know that's a that's a well, and it's probably why WWE was so focused on um, kids. Hmm early on, you know, in the eighties, because kids can't drive themselves to the arena. Kids can't buy their own tickets. Kids can't buy their own merchandise, but if they get mommy and daddy to take them, guess what? You're making twice as much money. And I looked at that monster trucks crowd. I thought, man, there's gotta be a way somewhere down the line to kind of marry these two properties because it's the same demo. Both are hugely popular, both wrestling and not so much WCW in 93 or 94 or even 95. But, both both businesses are, are very, very successful, very popular, same demo. Um, why not try it? And that's how it, that's how it came to be. And I, I met, the, as I said, I met the guys from Bigfoot and started talking about different ideas and how to engineer these trucks in such a way that we could stage, you know, a monster truck performance. But the whole idea behind it was to, again, generate not only, perhaps a new audience for WCW that maybe weren't wrestling fans previously, but might become wrestling fans because of their engagement with Bigfoot and monster trucks. But more importantly, because it would set us up in a much more favorable, favorable position for certain advertisers.
0: There's a couple matches here on main event. Big Bubba Rogers is going to get a win in a minute and four seconds over an enhancement talent with a Bubba slam Meltzer gave it a dud. Then Disco Inferno, he puts in parentheses, Glenn Gilbernetti, which is not his name, uh, pins Joey Mags in two minutes and 33 seconds. And he writes this about the match. Inferno has a great gimmick and a great ring entrance, but I was disappointed in him once the match started. He bumps better than hockey talk, man, but doesn't have as much poise in the ring. And he gives it a dud. And he even says that disco Inferno is basically trying to be the honky-tonk man quote, which is basically what he's supposed to be right down to the finishing move. I mean, you've never talked about that before, but Lord knows we've talked about honky-tonk man on this show a ton and how much fun you had firing him. Uh, did you think, Hey man, I don't need this older, slower version of this character. I got a young guy in here who can do the same shit with uh, disco inferno.
1: I never, never drew the connection never saw that connection, never even the thought of there being any parallel between the two has never occurred to me in over 65 years until this very moment.
0: All right. I want to give you guys a peek behind the curtain and tell you something that's happening at my house every day. Of course, I'm talking about Ebb cool drift. It's no surprise that current events might be contributing to more stress and sleep deprivation man that has certainly been the case in my life, but Ebb Cool Drift has helped me out and it can help you out. Megan actually has this on her side of the bed right now. We had a slight disagreement about this recently. She is such a big fan of the Ebb Cool Drift that she knows I'm stealing it when I sleep on her side of the room. If I go to bed first. I'm jumping on that side because that's where the Ebb Cool Drift system is. And here's the thing, man. If you have trouble falling asleep and then when you wake up, you feel like you've hardly slept. Got to look into an ebb pool trip. And this thing has, I have to admit, won me over in a major way. Megan was the first one of my family to try it. uh, But once I saw that she was using it every night, I gave it a shot and bam, it helped. Now I got a question for you. Imagine what can take you. Imagine what you can take on the morning after a restful night of restorative sleep. Whether you're seeking a natural solution to a long-term battle with sleeplessness Or maybe you're just looking for small improvements to operate at your peak. It's time you give this thing a try. Of course, we're talking about the ebb cool drift sleep system. And here's the thing, the mind's normal way of dealing with stress and challenges is to be on guard and more vigilant. That makes sense, right? Well, of course that's the inverse of what you need to get a restful night of sleep. The ebb cool drift system is going to provide a cooling, calming sensation to the forehead designed to counteract the way the mind and body react to stressful situations. Now, Ebb's Cool Drift has clinically been validated. Users report improved sleep quality by 90%. 90%. We should also mention that the new Ebb Cool Drift is a lightweight and portable sleep system designed to be incredibly versatile to fit your lifestyle and calm your racing mind anywhere you need. And when I say anywhere, I mean you can travel with this thing. And I have to admit, this was something that I said that Megan started using first won me over because she was sleeping so much better, but don't take my word for it. Check this out, but don't take my word for it. Check this out on average, cool drift sleep system users reported reducing their time to fall asleep by about 50% and improved their sleep quality by 90%. We mentioned earlier, it was clinically validated. Here's what the results were eight out of 10 users report falling asleep. Faster eight out of 10 users report, improving overall sleep quality. Seven out of 10 users report feeling more alert the next morning. If you're looking to be at your best, but you want to keep it 100% natural. This is the way, and when we're talking about natural, I should mention that traditional sleep aids are going to shut down your mind and body completely, but EB is going to work with your brain's natural rhythms to help you sleep the way your body was meant to. This is backed by science. Brain imaging studies followed up to 6,500 nights of studies by renowned sleep researchers and revealed a revolutionary new way to sleep. Just for our listeners, you can save $25 off of your order by going to trieb.com forward slash 83weeks and using the promo code 83weeks at checkout. That's $25 off your order, and you can try it risk-free for 60 nights. That's com forward slash 83weeks. Tryeb.com forward slash 83weeks. Use our promo code eighty three weeks to save twenty five dollars today. I'm telling you, you'll be glad you did.
1: Well, there you go. So that answers that. Alex- I try to. I try every once in a while because I know I babble, man. I I just wander. I wander off into the weeds, and I'm talking about the NFL. I'm you know, I, t- I just I go all over the map. So sometimes just to reel myself back in, I'll give you a very succinct answer, not because it's not worthy of a long-winded weed-whacking walk into the wilderness. But because sometimes I think maybe I should just answer a question and move on. But you tell me if you want to dig in more, brother. I got my weed whacker. We can clear a path. Let's talk We about- can talk about Disco Inferno and how unique of a character he really was and how in re- really in retrospect there's no similarity between Did Disco come to the ring with a guitar? No. 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 Disco was Danny Terrio. Disco was John Travolta. Just come on. Disco was just dis- disco was big. Glenn go. Birdie is a great performer. Got knocked a lot. He got saddled with a ridiculous gimmick that wasn't going to go anywhere, but he made it work. He's still one of the most talented guys out there. I think in many respects, as far as being his character and working his character. And Glenn's a very smart dude. You know, he, he, he's one of those guys, he he, he kind of makes fun of himself. Yeah. He sets himself up to be the brunt of a joke oftentimes, because that's just who he is. And that's how he has fun with his character. And sometimes people forget that it's not really the real guy. Glenn Gilberti is really a pretty intelligent guy and and was a great performer. He was just a great performer that was saddled with a really kind of ridiculous gimmick. And the time wasn't right for it. Had Glenn Gilberti come out 15 years earlier, you know, uh, 10 years sooner, maybe he, he might've gone on to be, be a bigger star, but by the time Glenn was getting a lot of exposure, his, his character just wasn't resonating with the audience and what their expectations were.
0: Alex Wright goes to a no decision with Eddie Guerrero in six minutes and thirty six. seats. So golly, it's going to be a long day. Six minutes and 36 seconds. Dave writes, well, they proved what everyone knew all along. None of the newcomers who can work are going to have a prayer of getting a chance to make it. They were having a really good match until they did a major screw up on a spot and never recovered. Eric Bischoff was trying to offset criticism in his announcing by talking with Guerrero before the match. And he called every move to the point of almost silliness. The funniest part was when Guerrero did a splash mountain or Niagara driver and Bischoff called it a gory special. Then uh, Guerrero's very next move was the Gory Special. And what did Bischoff call that? Well, the Gory Special. Wright suplexed Guerrero over the top rope, and Guerrero sold that his knee was out and he couldn't get back in the ring. Wright refused the victory, and WCW let everyone know in Guerrero's first television appearance that he was nothing more than opening match caliber, star in three quarters. A lot to unpack after that. Uh, first of all, you know, Alex Wright is obviously, uh, a high priority. You've got big plans for him. He's young, huge upside, but he's not the quote unquote internet darling. Before that was a thing. There were dirt sheet darlings and Eddie Guerrero is one of those guys for all he had done in Mexico and certainly in ECW. It's going to be very critical of you not having him showcase what he can do, AKA win. Uh, and I found it interesting that he, he's critical sometimes of your commentary saying, Oh, this guy did not know the fucking moves. And then when you actually try to learn them and you miss one, well, you're a piece of shit because now you're actually trying. I, I don't think you can win for
1: losing here with Eric.
0: I mean, with, with Dave.
1: And, nor do I give a fuck. I didn't then. And I don't now because he is who he is. And I, <laughs> you know, you go back to 95 and 96 when we were bringing a lot of the luchadors into WCW and for the most part we were all seeing things we had never seen before. Now, maybe, you know, people like Dave and others who, you know, were spending, you know, Mike today was another good example of people who were really really, you know, into um what was going on in Mexico. I wasn't. You know, I'm not going to lie about it. I just had no interest in it. Um until I started seeing things that I thought, you know, could be implemented in WCW, and it became obvious to me that we needed to create a very international kind of feel to our show. Then I started becoming more interested in Mexican wrestling, or the lucha style of wrestling. But up until that point, man, there was a lot of shit that nobody had ever seen before, um, and yeah, I had to learn a lot of new, a lot of new moves, and yep, I, I, I dropped the ball a couple times, but you know, eh. What are you going to (laughs) do? It's just, Dave. like I said, Dave always had an agenda in his perspective, his view, his commentary, um, all kind of reflect that agenda. And this is just another example.
0: Let's talk about American males beating the Nasty Boys. Four minutes and 15 seconds. Uh, Meltzer would write, Nasty Boys were cheered by almost everyone in the American Males debut. Males didn't get over a bit. There was a lot of talk that because the nasties had to do the job that they would quit the promotion over it. they were said to be furious, but not on the verge of quitting over it. Uh, But the way the finish was done in this match. And then in the Harlem heat title change later, it appeared to be done largely to politically pacify them. The winners were to face the blue bloods on nitro. The next night, Dick Slater comes out and hits knobs off the top rope with his cowboy boot and Bagwell pins him the American males debut. Uh, Shout out to Scotty Riggs, who I know is a big listener of the show and a low-key Conrad hater because we don't put him over enough, so feel free to tag in if you want to on that. Who is he? Who's that again? Scotty Riggs. Who's? You know, Bagwell's partner. You know who that is? American males. Come on. He was in the flock, too. He wore the eye patch. Come on.
1: Okay. I evidently left a big impression on on me.
0: Oh, now you're just being mean. Yeah, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) You're just a natural heel.
1: What are you remember? No, about- well, look, he, when you said, you know, he's no fan of yours because you don't put him over enough, I thought, well, man, fuck him. Let's slap him around a little bit here.
0: Oh, uh, I appreciate that. No, I'm just having fun. He's a good guy. Listens to the show. We have interactions all the time, and I uh, hope he's doing well. I think he's chilling on the beach somewhere, so he's winning at life.
1: Um, all right, Scotty, I was just kidding, man. Don't take anything I said seriously.
0: No, he knows. Come on. We bust balls on this show 24-7. Uh, yeah.
1: Nasty boys, though.
0: You remember them being upset about losing to the males? That seems sort of silly. Like, Hey, we got a new baby face tag team. Get
1: them over. Who gives a shit? No, no. That's such, again, it's uh, such silliness, you know, but when you, when you advertise that, you know, you have a dirt sheet that contains 10,000 words and you have to live up to that promise to your subscribers, you know, you just pack as much shit in as you can, regardless of whether it makes sense or is the truth. And here we go again. You know, nasty boys ever had a problem putting anybody over, you know, not that they were always happy about things and maybe had ideas about how a match should go over or how they should put somebody over like every other piece of fucking talent ever has and ever will. Otherwise, they wouldn't be talent if they weren't involved, engaged, and cared. And the Nasty Boys were no different than anybody else in that regard. So, yeah, sometimes there were discussions. Sometimes those discussions were more animated than others. But being so frustrated as to quit the promotion, are you fucking kidding me? Just make some more shit up, Dangerous Dave. Try to get yourself out there as that guy that knows so much so you can suck $10 a month out of unsuspecting people who just don't know any better. That's your claim to fame. That's what you've achieved in life. You've conned people into thinking, you know, things that you don't know. And this is another perfect example of it.
0: I can't believe it. We're finally here. It's pay-per-view time. (laughs)
1: Uh, A
0: pre-produced opening hype uh, for the, uh, for the event airs right at the start. And it's talking about Hulk Hogan declaring war on the dungeon of doom. And boy, we're really taking the whole concept of war games very literally with, with war here. I mean, the imagery of the tank, and then we've even got Hulk Hogan doing his best, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and commando impression. Uh, <laughs> we'll talk about that in a little bit, but Johnny B bad is out first because of course he is. It's WCW. He's got to start every WCW pay-per-view ever. Uh he's going to be taking on Brian Pillman. And Lord, is this a long match? 29 minutes and 14 seconds. It's not for the United States title. It's for a shot at Sting's United States title. Um sort of interesting that Bad's music ends early before he can even finish doing his routine. So he just keeps going while Buffer just sort of stands there awkwardly, and Bad goes to throw a couple frisbees out. The yellow one sails into the crowd, but The green one literally goes one foot, hits the rope, and falls straight down. Fans laugh, and then he shoots the gimmick gun. My God, how many gimmicks are we going to give him? We got the makeup. We got the hair. We got the robe. We got a gimmick gun. We got Frisbees. Uh, This is like DDP. Did did they go to the same yard sale to come up with all their gimmicks in this era?
1: Now, Paige is going to hear this, and I'm sure he's going to be hurt or and or disappointed, or maybe angry enough to pick up the phone and go, Hey bro, what the fuck? But I, I would say that the difference between the quality of the gimmicks is night and day. For example, Johnny B. Bad's gimmicks were professionally done. They were just perfectly done. It looked like some kind of a costume that you would expect to see in a feature film set. It was perfect. Now, one might argue that it was over the top. It was silly. Didn't need it. Whatever your opinions of the, the flamboyant character, Johnny B. Bad, you're welcome to them. All I'm pointing out is that the costuming, aka gimmicks, the costuming and the presentation of Johnny B. Bad was a very high level, very sophisticated presentation the quality of the workmanship in his robes and his cape. And he changed his look up constantly. I mean, he really put a lot of time and effort into it. Whereas GDP, I think he made some of it himself. Um, surely had others making things for him, but it was the difference between shopping at mm, Nordstrom's and shopping at the dollar store. That's to me was the difference in the gimmicks.
0: now we all know that Eric Bischoff is a karate man, but one of the reasons Eric got into that is he got bored with workouts. And if you're getting bored with your home workout, man, I've got something that can help you keep engaged, keep learning, keep you excited, keep you motivated. How about a, a workout that's never boring and always challenging? We're talking about our friends at fight camp and fight camp brings the boxing gym to your living room. They provide all the gear and top trainers, everything you need to get great workouts in. The boxing workout has always been ranked as one of the best ways to get in shape. And honestly, it's one of the most fun ways to combine both cardio and strength training. And Fight Camp brings the boxing gym to you with a mix of cardio and conditioning for a full body workout. It comes with all the gear you need. We're talking the best freestanding punching bag on the market, great boxing gloves, quick hand wraps, and their unique punch tracking sensors that show you real-time progress and stats. On any iOS device, you can even watch yourself reach new milestones. And that sort of goal crushing mentality is going to apply to every part of your life. You can even compete with like a leaderboard situation with thousands of others. That's going to keep you motivated. And by the way, you can learn from six highly qualified trainers. They've got everybody from a pro MMA fighter to a mother of two to a kickboxing world champion. Maybe you're new to boxing. Well, don't be overwhelmed. Their 12 week starter program teaches you the fundamentals of boxing and still gets you a great workout every time. In fact, they've got access to more than 400 different workouts for all fitness levels and skills, and they're adding four new ones every week. But the goal here is to become passionate about it and fight camp is going to keep you engaged and focused and in the zone because they've got endless variety, uplifting beats, motivating trainers and powerful technology that combines to create a unique and satisfying workout. And about this, you learn a new skill and continually get better. By the way, you can try fight camp workouts for free. If you didn't know that, check it out. Just download the fight camp app and select the workout of your choice. And it's a great way to test your trainer and they make it so easy. Check this out. You can buy now and pay later. You can use a firm financing to get your gym right away, make easy monthly payments. And then the gym is yours to keep at the end of your term. If you're approved for financing, you'll pay less than a hundred dollars a month, which is cheaper than almost every boxing gym. Plus you save on the commute time and gas. And since you can have up to five accounts per household, you can get started on a full boxing gym for the whole family. at just like 20 bucks a person fight camp offers flexible financing as low as 0% APR and right now is a limited time offer. You can try fight camp for 30 days with their money back guarantee. Just go to joinfightcamp.com/83weeks. That's right. Try Fight Camp for 30 days, and if you don't love it, they'll refund your money. Train like a fighter and turn your sweat into results. To train Fight Camp for 30 days, just go to joinfightcamp.com/83weeks. That's joinfightcamp.com/83weeks. And we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. Oh my goodness. Uh, what's would right? Disagree? Do you no, disagree? No, no. Listen, you, 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 I mean, we have made fun of DDP sometimes. Listen, by the way, we have to establish, let's hit the reset button. 97 DDP becomes a mega star and it's because he's got it dialed in. But at first it feels like he's literally trying everything. I want a ring on every finger. I want some, uh, glitter on my pants. I want some shiny boots. I'm going to smoke a cigar and I'm going to chew gum and I might have a toothpick. And I'm definitely going to have glasses. And so it's like, Lord, we got everything. We got the jacked up dude. We got the lady with us. Like we have everything. It's like, if you had a box of gimmicks that we've joked about with Bruce before, instead of picking one, uh, DDP just went in the room, dumped them all out and said, I'll take all these. And it feels a little bit like that here with Johnny V bad. It's like, wait a minute. Now we're shooting shit in the crowd and we're throwing frisbees and there's a lot going on. Well, that was, you
1: know, that was dusty's. Idea for for Johnny early on, when Dusty was still booking, and it just carried over. You know, it became you know, J- Johnny's character was over to it to to you know, a relative degree within the audience that WCW had at the time. That was one of the more popular characters, so there was no, you know, urgent need to change that character. You know, unfortunately, I think John, I think Johnny is, you know, out watching his match, you know, again this morning, prepping for the show, Johnny. Johnny didn't reach his potential, much like Disco Inferno, not unlike Alex Wright. I think the gimmick just didn't match the times and therefore fell flat. But the performer, Mark Merrill, the athlete, Mark Merrill, as with Alex Wright and Glenn Gilberti, Disco Inferno. You know, had the potential, I think, to achieve much more than they did, but I think we're held back because of their gimmicks.
0: By the way, let's talk about Mark Merrill for a minute. I know we've done it before, but it's worth repeating. The dude's uh, big, tan, jacked up, has a phenomenal physique, was a golden gloves boxer, in real life is a hell of a salesman, closed Rena Mero, made her his wife. Close to freedom, i'm just saying you got a lot of you got a lot checking a lot of shit here now went on to be a big motivational speaker so he's clear he's clearly comfortable speaking to people he's a good promo he can do the shooting star press he checks all the boxes for hey all right he can look goofy and be silly but he can also knock your ass out and uh chicks dig him uh really good looking ladies and he can do shit off the top rope and he can talk it's like he checks a lot of boxes. So I know a lot of people sometimes see Johnny be bad and go funny. Ha But the reality is he didn't come up with that gimmick. He did his best to make chicken salad out of chicken shit. And I thought he did a great job. But to your point, if you would have seen all those other facets of his personality and picked probably almost any other gimmick, there's no telling what he could have done in wrestling.
1: God, I agree with you so much. I mean, you, you say a lot of things that make me, you know, think about certain things differently, but I think that's, that's such a great observation. And as you're, as you're laying all that out, I was thinking in my head while you were talking, what would I have done if Johnny B, if Mark Merrill, forget about it, if Johnny B Bad never existed, right. Mark Merrill would have walked into WCW in. 97. 96 or 97. Um, what would I have done with him? You know, I can't sit here and tell you, I, I know, but man. you're right. His look, his athletic ability. The fact, I mean, you don't become a golden gloves boxing champion unless you're really fucking good. Right. And Johnny was good. He could go. Um, And he just had so much charisma. I I would have loved to have started with a clean slate with Johnny or Mark. I should say clean slate with, with Mark Maryland, 96. I think life would have been much different for everybody. And a, I'm not suggesting he would have been the biggest star in the industry or anything like that, but he would be remembered much differently than he is now.
0: Well, don't feel bad because he did get a blank, uh, a fresh start as Mark Merrow in 1996 and he did it for Vince McMahon and Vince bungled it too. Like when you look and the reason I think is because Vince was really in love with the character, Johnny B bad and wanted, Hey man, give me our version of that. But it's like, if, if he was never typecast as that, and by the way, he did a fine job as that and blah, blah, blah. But Lord, if he, if he never had that to begin with, what, and I know we're going to get some hate tweets, send them to me. Hey, Hey, it's Conrad. I'm just saying
1: strip away all the gimmick and look at the guy. Dude. Uh, if you, if you would have, if we would have, if I would have, if someone would have come whether, or Vince would have, when, when Johnny went to the WWF if somebody would have come up with a more reality-based, legit, believable, 18 to 49 type of character for Johnny instead of something that a 10-year-old kid would get excited about, because Johnny could carry it. Johnny could be real. Johnny was a legit tough guy. He didn't have to pretend he was a tough guy. There's a lot of talent out there that you know make a great living pretending that they're badasses who really aren't, but they're pretty decent at pretending. Um, Johnny could go. Johnny was a legit guy. And when you have that to work with, um, and, and he could cut a promo. So when you got those two things to work with and you have all that ale- athleticism, if he just would have been in, in a more of a, an NWO-ish. Now, I'm not suggesting he would have been in the NWO or should have been necessarily. But if he would have been in more of that reality type of of a character at that time, he would have really gotten over.
0: Let's talk about this match here. Uh, We just did a whole big uh, side conversation about it and haven't actually discussed it, but it's Johnny B. Badd and Brian Pillman. Meltsword, write, The title match was supposed to air on the September 30th WCW Saturday Night Show. However, the match actually never took place because Badd no-showed the match. Fans were booing Pillman even before the subtle turn. Badd bled hard way above his left eye, although the announcers never acknowledged it and the camera shots did everything they could to avoid showing it. And it was acknowledged as a nine stitch cut on nitro. The next night, the match is pretty slow for the first 12 minutes because they knew they were going so long. Actually, the length of this match was an office rib that backfired. The idea was to expose that both of these guys aren't as good of workers as people think.
1: Oh my God. Oh my God.
0: And would fail trying to put together a 30 minute match, but it turned out to be the best match on the card. The last eight minutes of the original match was good. Bad suplexed Pillman over the top and did a dive over the top to the floor. Bad came off the top, but Pillman caught him with a drop kick. Bad used a power bomb for a near fall, and Pillman used a tombstone piledriver for a near fall. And then Pillman used the leg sweep octagon submission. Bad hit his punch, but Pillman was under the ropes. Pillman came back as his air Pillman springboard clothesline, but Bad kicked out and the bell rang at 20 minutes and seven seconds. It was announced they're going to do a sudden death because there must be a winner. The two traded big moves and near falls until the entire overtime, which included bad sunset flip over the top. Pillman doing a hurricane Rana bad reversing a crucifix into a back slam bad with a Frankensteiner off the top rope. Pillman with a swinging DDT off the middle rope. Pillman then threw or bad then threw Pillman off the top rope and Pillman caught his throat on the guardrail. Bad used a liger dive and went for a splash from the apron into the ring, but Pillman gets his knees up. And, uh, eventually Pillman tries a silver King dive, but ends up crouching himself on the top rope for the near fall. Pillman goes for a cross body off the rope and hits it, but bad winds up on top for the pin at nine minutes and seven seconds of overtime. He gives it four stars. There's a lot to unpack here. The result is by the way, go out of your way to watch it. It is a long match, but it is good. They're pulling out all the stops, a lot of hot moves you don't normally see on a, on a regular match in 1995. But the idea that this was booked to expose these guys, what? That doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make walking around sense to me. What'd you think?
1: I, I, I just uh, look, I, I have, I have a choice to make, you know, I'm at, I see that stop sign. I haven't hit it yet. We talked about it last week I'm at that crossword. I could, I could right now go off on, uh, on, that report and Dave's positioning of it backfired because we only put them out there to prove or as a rib to prove that neither one of them could put together a match. That is the most fucked up, immature, obvious bullshit that I think I've, and Dave's written so much bullshit, but that is so fucked up. I mean, he is such, I'm not going to say the word, I'm not going to say that word, not on my podcast. I don't want to offend it. potential advertisers, so I'm going to leave that word out <laughs> of my vernacular for the moment. But privately, I'll be very happy to share with you what I think of Dave Meltzer and his reporting. And if anybody out there is listening to this, now that you know, and these are, again, examples of things that are just so obviously spun because of Dave's personal issues and shortcomings and insecurities and inferiority and all of the other reasons why I guess somebody makes shit like this up, um, and pretends they know things that they don't. This is just, it's so ridiculous. I only have two choices, either move on or just let, let it rip. And I'm afraid to let it rip right now because the words that are forming in my mouth are not appropriate even for this podcast,
0: Next up, we've got Sergeant Craig Pittman beating Cobra in one minute and 22 seconds with the code red arm breaker submission. Elzer's going to write, a guy dressed up as a serviceman came to the ring when Pittman was introduced and distracted Cobra. Pittman came down from the ceiling with a rope and jumped him from behind, never lost the advantage and won quickly. Now Cobra's gimmick is that he was a member of the CIA who Pittman left stranded either in a desert or a jungle either in Vietnam or desert storm, or maybe Korea, perhaps even the civil war. At least, <laughs> at least, <laughs> at least Pittman's ring entrance was good. Dud listen, I know sometimes we're pretty critical of Dave's writings, but that was a pretty fine line.
1: No, that was good. Hey, you know, I, I'd, I'd pay a quarter for that.
0: Cobra comes out to Morse code. Whose <laughs> idea was that
1: that's hilarious. That's uh, Kevin Sullivan. Come on now. The, oh, uh, we're going to talk about Kevin Sullivan on this show. I just did a podcast with Kevin last week.
0: Give, her, week. give everybody it. a shout out. Well, where can they find Kevin's podcast or what's it called or
1: whatever? Uh, I'm going to have to look it up. I, I think it was a one-man power sh- one man power trip was the name of the show. Okay. But I'll, I'll retweet it. In fact, I've already retweeted it I'm, uh, on, at E. Bischoff on Twitter, but I'll retweet it again because it was a fun podcast.
0: Taskmaster
1: Talks, maybe?
0: Oh, that's it. Yeah. Taskmaster Talks. Look it up. Taskmaster Talks with Kevin Sullivan. Uh yeah. And as we're recording this, it was released just yesterday. So you're, you're the tenth guest. That's a big deal. Or the tenth episode. Well, I had fun. Yeah. A great guy. Uh talk to me a little bit about this match. I mean, clearly we're trying to double down on G.I. Joe and you know, this is sort of a, well, a little hard to believe that we're just less than a year away from the NWO. This angle would have really hit for me in probably nineteen eighty eight but it does feel like it's, you know, seven to 10 years behind. What'd you think?
1: So wouldn't you, wouldn't you cut it a little slack, given that it was war games and the the presentation was at least consistently thematic. Yes. All right. Good enough. We're going to let it go at that. And, and, you know, we were trying to get Pittman over. I mean, Craig Pittman had a great background. I, I liked him. I I loved his amateur background. You know, had a pretty, pretty strong wrestling background, I think he went to high school in New York, went to college, I think it was in Kentucky, on a wrestling scholarship, got there, and then the wrestling program was canceled, so he had to end up going back home, went to junior college where he wrestled and eventually joined the Marine Corps and wrestled, and I think he won a couple championships wrestling for the U.S. Marines in, in Greco-Roman, so I I liked Craig Pittman, and I thought he had a great look, you know, if you go back and watch the show and you know, get a look at Craig's you know, facials after he won that match, there was potential there. You know, we didn't reach it. We we didn't reach that potential. And, and, and maybe he went as far as possibly he could have gone. But kind of like Mark Barrow, he had a lot of the he had a lot of the boxes checked. His promo skills weren't really there, um, but they could have been. They could have been developed. He had pretty good fundamental promo skills, but he needed more experience and confidence and wasn't around long enough to get it. But he was a great athlete. And in a, a legit dude. He wasn't Kurt Angle legit. He wasn't a gold medalist, but, you know, he, he was a legit, you know, amateur wrestler and collegiate wrestler and AAU wrestler. So he, a lot of respect for me.
0: One of the things I enjoy most about our podcast is that it's all about nostalgia. It makes me think about, you know, being a kid and growing up as such a big wrestling fan and growing up cereal was one of the best parts of being a kid. But most of us had to give it up when we realized it's full of sugar and junk that we really shouldn't be eating. But then when you realize, Hey, if I cut out all the carbs and the sugar, man, there, there's nothing I can even eat anymore, but you still need to eat breakfast. Right? I mean, we've always heard it's the most important meal of the day. And that makes sense. You know, if you, if you start your, uh, your engine going the right way in the morning, you're going to be more productive at work. You're going to get more shit done. But how do we make this happen? Magic spoon, magic spoon is a sponsor of this podcast. And I got to tell you, we are a fan in the Thompson household. And here's why you're going to dig it zero sugar. 12 grams of protein and only three net grams of carbs in every serving. They've also got four really badass flavors cocoa, fruity, frosted, and blueberry. It tastes amazing. It almost feels too good to be true. It's keto friendly, it's gluten free, it's grain free, it's soy free, it's low carb, and it's GMO free. Uh, I have absolutely fell in love uh, with Magic Spoon. My wife is a big fan of Fruity, and, and you can probably guess what that tastes similar to. I'm a big fan of cocoa. Uh, our daughter really likes blueberry. You're going to love it too. find out which one you like the best. Go to magic forward slash 83 weeks, grab a variety pack and try them all today. Be sure to use that promo code 83 weeks at checkout. You're going to get free shipping for that. We should mention magic spoon is so confident in their product. It's backed by a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money. No questions asked. That's magicspoon.com slash 83 weeks and use the promo code 83 weeks for free shipping. And we thank magic spoon for sponsoring the podcast. We believe in it. You will too. Try the cocoa, buddy. You're going to dig it. Magic spoon.com forward slash 83 weeks. Ladies and gentlemen, next up is the greatest segment in WCW in 1995. I can't believe it took me this long to talk about this with you, Eric. Gary Spivey from the psychic companions network (laughs) is going to interrupt a locker room thrashing where Paul Orndorff has lost his confidence. He's shook. He doesn't feel like himself. He's talking to himself, his head's in his hands. He's just physically acting out. (laughs) And thankfully our old pal, Gary Spivey is here to save the day. Eric, what the fuck is this?
1: This was... The best, absolutely the best backstage segment I've seen in the two years that I've been going back, or two and a half years, I've been going back and watching these shows with you. This was a classic. If you were fortunate enough to have paid $29.95 or $39.95 or whatever it is you paid for this pay-per-view, you got your money's worth on that pay-per-view investment alone just on this backstage promo. Why are you doing that? Are, listen, you know if, what? You uh, Let me finish, man. I feel so strongly about this. If you're out there listening to this and you weren't even born yet in 1995, or perhaps you were born but you were just running around in your diapers, blowing boogers all over your parents' house and chasing a dog with sticks, whatever the case may be, if you didn't get a chance to enjoy this work of art – of a backstage promo, I encourage you to go to wwenetwork.com. Subscribe. I don't know what the offerings are now. I don't know if you get a month free or three months free, or if you don't go get anything free, if it just costs you 10 bucks a month, whatever this promo, this backstage promo, With Gary Spivey and Paul Orndorff, in my opinion, is a classic backstage promo that is worth the cost of the WWE Network for the sole purpose of being able to check it out and see for yourself. It was awesome, awesome.
0: You know what? I loved it. Here's what we're gonna do. We're can't believe I'm gonna do this, but I feel so strongly that everybody needs to hear this. I'm gonna play it right now. I can't
2: believe what's
3: going on in my life. I don't even know if I'm Mr. Wonderful anymore. what is this? I can't believe this! Can't believe it! I don't know what's going on! something has gotta happen! This is driving me up a wall! I don't... Who am I? This ain't me! Man, I just don't know what's going on. I don't know if I'm Mr. Wonderful or not anymore. I just don't know, man. I just don't know. Gary Spivey? Mr. Wonderful, they let me back here to see you. Gary Spivey? Of the Psychic Companions Network? What are you doing here? I got a vision. I knew you weren't okay. There's something I have to tell you. I know you're not okay. You did? Yes. How did you know that? I got a vision. Psychics know. You gotta listen to me. I used to be the highest-rated wrestler in the whole world. I used to have so many belts that I, I, I could carry them all. I know. <laughs> I can see these things. You're not okay, but you're Mr. Wonderful, and you're not feeling so wonderful. These things are going to pass. I see great things for you. You have to be Mr. Wonderful. That's you. That's I, I, you. I used to be Mr. Wonderful. You, no, I don't know. no. Listen to me. You are Mr. Wonderful. They call you Mr. Wonderful. True. Look in the mirror. Who do you see? Look in the mirror. Get up. Look in the mirror. Who do you see? I see I see Mr. Wonderful. You see the vision I see. See, look, you'll see the same vision I see. I see Mr. Wonderful. Who do you see? I am Mr. Wonderful. I am Mr. Wonderful. You are Mr. Wonderful. Yes. I am Mr. Wonderful. They call you Mr. Wonderful. I am Mr. Wonderful, man. And you know (laughs) you're wonderful, too. I look better than I ever did before. See my visions? (laughs) Bigger cars. Bigger houses. More money. I see Mr. Wonderful. There you are. You see what I see. They call you Mr. Wonderful. And you know you're wonderful too. No problems. You're Mr. Wonderful. I am Mr. Wonderful. Mr. Wonderful. I am Mr. Wonderful. I am Mr. Wonderful. (laughs) That's it. Now you got it. I am Mr. Wonderful. I like that. I am Mr. Wonderful. That's right. That's it. That's great. I am Mr. Wonderful.
1: Thank you, Gary. Eric. Awesome. Just work of art. And, and if you listen to that, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did, it pales in comparison to the visuals that you'll see. If you go to www and, and, and watch this pay-per-view Paul Orndorff. Now Paul's a good friend of mine. Uh, I can tell you some fun stories about Paul privately that we'll, we'll never talk about on the, on the podcast, <laughs> <laughs> but Paul's acting in this scene, if you go back and watch it, it's funny to listen to, but if you go back, first of all, you got to see Gary Spivey. For those of you who don't know Gary Spivey, I actually tweeted a picture of him out just a little while ago, um, to kind of tease this, this podcast for next week. You have to see this cat because he didn't dress up in this gimmick for this scene. This is who he is to this day. Gary Spivey runs around with this Fakakta-looking white wig, Afro-looking wig, on. but it's bleached white, whatever. He's a motivational speaker and a clairvoyant and a psychic and all this stuff. He's got radio shows. He's been on all kinds of TV shows. But he legitimately walks around looking like this all day. It's freaky enough just to see him on camera and then to see him working his magic with, with Orndorf and Orndorf did such a phenomenal job performing this. I you you couldn't have you couldn't have cast anybody from Hollywood, you know, to to do a better job performing, you know, that scene than Paul Orndorf did. He did, it was great.
0: Meltzer even liked it, believe it or not. He says they aired a video with Paul Orndorff depressed after losing a match to Randy Savage. They should have at least made it believable and had him depressed after losing to Renegade. Gary Spivey of the Psychic Hotline showed up with what looked like a sponge on his head and convinced Orndorff that he really was Mr. Wonderful, changing Orndorff's character. The acting by Orndorff in the skit made Hogan look like an Oscar award winner, but it was almost so bad that it was good. Oh my God. So, I mean, I, listen, the segment is entertaining. We have to give it that, but there's a lot to unpack here. Number one, whose idea was this? Number two, how was Gary? Uh, <laughs> number three, why? <laughs> and and number four, why is it in the show? Like, this is not like I could see if this is like, let's say it's WCW Saturday night. And let's say to start the show, we start with Randy Savage and Paul Lorndorf. And later in the show, after he's lost, we see this footage. Okay. I could get behind that, but what he's depressed about didn't even happen on this show. This is just a taped element. That's not airing on TV. It's airing on a pay-per-view. I I just don't understand the placement and how the relationship happened. Help me understand what the fuck we just watched and how it came together.
1: It's You know, I I can't tell you whose idea it was. I just can't. As we've discussed so many times, trying to pinpoint an individual's contribution to something that ended up on television is in most cases impossible or close to it. Um, So I can't tell you where the idea came from. I can say, though, regardless of how it came to be or why it came to be, I think it should have been and it should have been placed right where it was somewhere along the line over the last 20 years, we have forgotten about the the concept of having a pay-per-view be as entertaining as possible. Okay. Not just great matches and, and new moves and, you know, opportunities for Dave to, to, you know, talk about all the things he knows about Japanese wrestling and Mexican wrestling and his technical expertise and, and how he rates matches. Sometimes people watch pay-per-views because they want to walk away feeling like they were entertained for two or two and a half hours. And this was entertaining as fuck. No, it didn't necessarily have anything to do with what was going on in that moment. It was a means to help elevate and make Paul Orndorff's character more interesting and more entertaining. And guess what? It served its purpose. One of the very first things that you said was, wow, this is really entertaining. Go out of your way to see it. Well, right there is a good reason for it to be on a pay-per-view. Not everything that has to be on a pay-per-view has to be about the technical quality of a match. Sometimes it's about the audience's reaction. Sometimes it's about the emotion that you're creating to build upon for a future story. Sometimes it's just to get somebody over, and sometimes it's just to get a laugh. That's kind of what entertainment is. So I'm, you know, I'm not going to apologize for having another pay per view. I don't think it was a bad choice, um, and I thought it was highly entertaining. And I thought Paul's acting was phenomenal. How else was he supposed to play it? <laughs> God! All right, uh, uh, whatever here, I got something for you to unpack, Dave, unpack this. <laughs> uh, listen, <That> <laughs> I, this is wild. This, this whole thing, like,
0: listen, sometimes we hear, well, so-and-so was friends with such and such, you know, when it came to these sort of celebrity crossovers and I'm not trying to insinuate that Gary Spivey is a big celebrity, but it does feel like somebody somewhere had to have an N it, it just feels... and that
1: might have been true. Gary was, I think he's from North or South Carolina. North Carolina. Uh, so there might have been. And he's probably local. You know, local. You know huh? since this is in Nashville. He's probably local. Yeah. So uh, I mean, who knows? He he was a thing. I remember seeing, you know, psychic like network commercials on television that were funny as hell. They were just crazy. They were so crazy. They had. They were entertaining. They were so crazy. Um, but yeah, it could have very well been, you know, a relationship with somebody in WCW because he was, you know, he's from the South and a lot of people knew each other. I don't know. Well, here we
0: go. Now we're going to get to some wrestling. It's a renegade match. Diamond Dallas page is going to pin renegade to win the WCW title in eight minutes and seven seconds. Meltzer writes page actually made this watchable basically attempting to do Terry Funk versus a broom match. They're doing a storyline where Diamond Doll was mad at Paige for being forced to hold up the 10 card whenever he'd do a move. At the four-minute mark, the announcer said that this was the longest Renegade had wrestled in a match since coming to WCW. Renegade did a handspring elbow at one point. Finish saw Paige and Max Muscle collide, attempting a double team. Renegade then dove off the top rope to the floor onto Muscle, as he got back in the ring, muscle grabbed his leg and page used the diamond cutter, AKA the ACE crusher for the pin two stars, Lord. This is a uh, weird good to go back and watch a renegade match. You saw it this time for the first time in 25 freaking years. What'd you think?
1: A couple things, you know, just the notes I made. Um, and again, re- renegade Rick Wilson's no longer with us. He, he, he died. Quite a while ago, I think at the age of, what, 33, 34 years old. Yeah. Um, So I'm going to be a little careful here. Um, I thought Renegade probably probably looked better here in this match on this show than he has looked since we've been watching some of his matches over the last year or so on this show. He didn't. He looked pretty good. For how green he was, and how he knew he was to the business, he trained under Killer Kowalski, so presumably he had a lot of the fundamentals, in the basics. He moved pretty well in this match. His timing was pretty good in this match. I think what really kind of bothered me more about his uh, Renegades performance in this thing, aside from the obvious, that it was such an obvious Hulk Hogan, or excuse me, obvious uh, Ultimate Warrior ripoff. Um, and he had the, you know, the red and yellow renegade on his arm. I'm sure Jimmy Hart had a little bit to do that so they could somehow tie him to Hulk Hogan, either then or in the future. I did notice that tricky Jimmy. Um, well, I think the biggest mistake he made in this match is you go back and watch it. His, his head is, he his head is down like 80% of the time. He's looking at the floor. And some of those times he was selling, and some of those times it was appropriate. But if you go back and watch this match, if you're an aspiring wrestler or even if you're in the business, go back and watch this match as an example of what to be careful of. Because when you're looking down, the audience can't see your face, especially when you got, you know, hair like Renegade had at the time. You, the audience can't see your face. And if they can't see your face, what are you not able to register? What you're feeling can't register whether you're happy, whether you're in pain, whether you're angry, nothing because the audience can't see your face. And I've seen so – and I've talked to talent before about this several times um, is you got to be really careful how you carry yourself and how you sell in the ring. If you sell with your head down, the audience isn't going to feel your pain or feel anything. You know, if, if you want them to get behind you because you're making your comeback, but they can't see your face or you can't register what you're feeling with your eyes, then the people watching at home on television aren't going to see it or feel it. And that's one of the things that I noticed about Renegade is his head was down. He was almost bent over at the waist. And I've seen other wrestlers do that, you know, guys that were taller, you know. Um, I'm not going to mention any names because that just pisses people off. But. You know, guys who were exceptionally tall, but when they were selling, they'd kind of bend over at the waist and they were selling small, you know, and it's like, fuck, do you want to be six How... How would you like to be six inches shorter? Do you think that would improve your 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 career odds in professional wrestling if you were six inches shorter than you really are? And most people look at me go, well, no. Well, then why would you bend over at the waist throughout 75% of your match? Why are you making yourself look smaller as opposed to looking taller? And people don't realize they're doing it. You know, when you're out there and you're selling, you don't know it's <laughs> it's kind of like you know, you don't really know what you look like. You know, and and how other people see you sometimes I mean, when you're out there, you're selling, you're bent over and you're trying to make it look believable. But you don't realize that nobody can see your face or the expression of pain or anguish or excitement or aggression or whatever it is they're supposed to feel because you actually are supposed to feel Dave Meltzer. You're not supposed to think wrestling is supposed to make you feel you dip shit. But when they can't see your face and they can't feel your emotion and you can't share what you want to share with the audience because they can't make eye contact with you, you fall short. So that was one thing that I noticed about the renegade here. The other thing I noticed about this match is, and this is probably what Melzer was referencing with the Terry Funk comment is Paige sold his ass off. I think he was trying to prove a point. yeah, I think I, I think he was he knew that this was the chances of this being a great match or even a passable match were were against him and the only way that he could kind of overcome his own stigma at that point, because in 1995, there weren't a lot of people excited about DDP getting in the ring. No, he had, he had more enemies than he had friends. He had, he had a lot of people doing whatever they could to pull him down and keep him back and only a small handful of people really, you know, rooting for him. So was swimming upstream man. And I think he he looked at this as a challenge. I'm either going to go out there and prove that I can, I can wrestle with somebody who maybe doesn't have the experience that they need or whatever, and I'm going to make them look good. And he went out and he did exactly that. I would say he probably overdid it a little bit. You know, the bump he took over the rail when he presumably knocked himself out by hitting a ring post or whatever, made himself dizzy. I thought that got to the point of being a little comical. Um, but everything else page did, he bump, he sold, he did everything he could to get the renegade over. I was impressed with DDP there and and I was impressed with, with renegade, you know, with the exception of, you know, selling with his head down and the ridiculous gimmick, but that wasn't his fault. You know, that wasn't his fault. You know, I, I think the one thing that if I would have been able to pull him aside and say, Hey, maybe next time think about not doing this, I would have pulled him aside and, and said, Hey, you know, Rick, the, the fake lat spread. You're not that jacked. And when you come out, you've got your arms all out to the you see guys in gems, you know, they walk around 165 pounds and walking around with a lat spread like they're yeah. Mr. Olympia. Yeah. And and I I saw a lot of that, you know, in Renegade here. Um, but overall I thought the match was much better than I anticipated it would be. And a lot of that credit has to go to Paige.
0: Bobby, the brain shares some wisdom during the match. He says, if you want to be rich, watch what poor people do and then don't do it. So
2: (laughs) (laughs) I
1: love that. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Woo!
2: Of course,
0: by now, everyone has heard about the historically low mortgage rates. In fact, a lot of families are getting interest rates in the twos. That's right, the twos. But just last week, one expert said that we're on borrowed time with these low rates. So if saving money is important to your family, the time to act is now. Find out how much money you can save right now by getting a better rate, skipping your next two house payments, and cutting years of unnecessary payments off of your loan at SaveWithConrad.com. Next up, we've got a pretty fun match. Uh, it's Harlem heat taking on Dick Slater and bunkhouse buck. That's right. Dick Slater on pay-per-view in 1995, uh, bunkhouse slaps Booker T in the back of the head and uh, Booker looks ready to fight, putting his arms up, backing bunkhouse up, forcing all the others to get in between the two. They work together without problem as the match gets going. Uh Meltzer says match starts very slow and didn't improve. Finish would see Rob Parker and Sherry kissing in the ring while the nasty boys came out and Sags hit Slater with Slater's own cowboy boot and Booker T pins him. Heat was mad at Sherry after the match, but she explained it was part of the plan. Buck is mad at Parker after the match, and he says he's in love. Negative one <laughs> star.
1: You know, really care about Dave's ratings. That's just his opinion and he's welcome yeah. to them. It's subjective. It doesn't mean anything. Here's, here's how I felt when this was all over. Um, the match and, and having to sit through the match cause it was not the greatest match, but it was all made worthwhile with the story and the finish at the end with Sherry and with Parker falling in love with Sherry and oh my God, Go back again. Thankfully, you, you've you've gone back. You've you've, or you're going to go and you're going to subscribe to the WWE Network, because really, all you really should subscribe for with regard to this show is the Gary Spivey. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, that Marmero
0: uh, match was good too.
1: Yeah, but but really, the, the Paul Orndorff Spivey thing was just fucking classically good. A close second would be Parker. Oh, falling yeah. Falling in love with Sherry. Parker's promo on this show at the end of this cluster was, it may be not be a classic quite, but damn, it should be in running. It was, and it was all improv. That's what makes it so much more fun. That's just pure, raw talent from Robert Parker. That's all that is, is amazing talent. Not a great story. Not a great angle. But goddamn, that was entertaining. And Parker was, I think, he's as good as I've seen him. You know, going back and watching these shows. I don't think I've seen a promo out of Parker that's as good as this one is. It was so fun. It was so on point. Just great stuff. Great stuff.
0: okerlin does the uh ring uh, the the interview with Parker in the uh the aisle. So go out of your way to check that out. And then he has to run backstage to do another interview. After a cutaway to the announcers, and even makes notes talking about uh, Okerlund, saying, "Oh, I didn't realize I had to run a marathon." Uh, so maybe a little bit of a technical situation that day where we didn't have all the details ironed out. Gene but, could get hot.
1: Gene, 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 Gene would let you know what he's thinking. Things right. weren't were going right. He, uh, he was not shy. <laughs> Backstage, it's
0: time for a great promo. Arn is going to be uh, at his best in a promo here. He says he loves Ric Flair more than God himself, but as a man, win, lose or draw, I'm going to respect myself in the morning, and you're going to respect me. And next, it's time for the match we thought we would never see, according to Tony Schiavone. And Heenan says he sees a lot of wrestlers are coming out to watch this, and he shows us Pillman, the American Males, Big Bubba, Colonel Robert Parker, Eddie Guerrero. Lots of guys are watching. And it's supposed to sort of cement the fact that they have a lot of respect for these two performers, and this is special. Even they want to see it. And the match happened because back at the Clash before this show, Vader beat both Flair and Anderson in a handicap match. Anderson confronted Flair about not pulling his weight, and then loaded with frustration about not getting a shot at Flair's title, they decide to have this match to settle the tension. And Arn has said that. Well, this match is the only time that he was so nervous that he actually threw up before the match. And he says as soon as he finished that promo with Mean Gene, when he stepped off camera, he yacked in a trash can and tried to shake it off and walk through the curtain. Uh, Meltzer would say the psychology was excellent. They did a lot of the normal flair or Anderson routine with slight cross-ups as in getting the story that they both know each other's moves, but the other is one step ahead and recognizing it it turned into a very good match with near falls going back and forth. Neither really came off as a baby face or as a heel. I absolutely loved this one. Anderson's selling his knee big from a long figure four sequence when Pillman came to ringside. Pillman punches Flair, who punches him back. And as Flair turns his back, Pillman gives him an Enziguri with a cowboy boot to set up their nitro match the next night. And a staggered Flair falls into Arn Anderson's DDT for the pin three and a half stars Arn Anderson beat Ric Flair in 22 minutes and 37 seconds. What a moment, fun match right here in North Carolina. I love this one. What'd you think?
1: Clinic. It was just a storytelling psychology clinic. The backstory setting it up was well done. As I said, at the head of the show, and I'm proud of that wasn't necessarily my doing, you know. Kevin, Kevin Sullivan, uh, and probably Ric Flair had a lot to do with that. Uh, But, um, love the setup, love the backstory, loved everything about this. The match was, I'll probably, I'll probably watch it again this weekend with Garrett. You know, my son's here, so we'll, we'll probably go back and watch it. He was watching a little bit of it with me as I was reviewing it, but this is a match. This is a match everybody should watch. You know, we, we, we often use terms or hear terms or read terms referencing psychology. And it means different things to different people. Most of the time, people don't understand what the fuck they're talking about when they use the term. But this, this match is a classic exhibition of great storytelling, great psychology and great execution in the ring. By the uh, way, did you know that Dick Slater got shot by Wahoo McDaniel? Yes. Did you? I didn't want to let that go. Wahoo was pissing pistol whipping some dude in the parking lot, and the gun went off and shot Slater in the leg. Wait,
0: <laughs> not 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 here though. You just mean back in the day.
1: Yeah, back in the day. Yeah, I
0: was going to say I didn't know it happened twice. <laughs>
1: Uh, No, I told you I wander off into the weeds every once in a while. You got to keep a leash on me. I need one of those shock collars, you know, like they use on dogs to correct him from doing. Like when a puppy's starting to piss on the carpet, you just hit him with a little shock collar and goes. Me, I'd maybe you know, probably piss on the carpet even more if it was me. But they work. We should get you a, a like a remote collar that works, you know, from. No, Amountsful. no. So that when we go, when I go off into the weeds, you just hit me with the little, <laughs> lick, you know, just just to keep me on, a, just to keep me from going into the weeds unnecessarily.
0: Hey, if you had to pick, I know we're not done yet, but
1: we're getting close. If you had to pick,
0: would you recommend fans go watch Mark Mero and Brian Pillman or Flair and Arn?
1: Well, Flair and Arn, yeah. First off, because it is such a clinic and it was so, so well done. Um, it was entertaining. It was everything you can want a match to be. But more importantly, it had real story. And that's why I think I feel so strongly about it. You know, th- there's a lot of things I liked about Bat and, and Pillman. You know, the yeah, the match went too long. But guess what? You know, even back in ninety-five, we're kind of looking at things and going, wait a minute, you know, we can go out there and have eight minute matches or ten minute matches, and there's always a finish or a DQ or something at the end. But what about restarts? It makes it feel real. It makes it feel like an athletic contest. Like, and there was no heat between Johnny B. Bat and Merrill at the beginning of the match. So these guys were two baby faces. And to have to kind of make that transition and have one of the guys turning heel throughout the match. I mean, that's a that's a complicated match from a psychology point of view and and many respects because they had a lot of things they had to accomplish there i like you know the match pillman and 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 bad again you know it wasn't the pillman johnny b bad match that i was expecting when i saw oh oh there's kevin sullivan in the background right now kevin yo he's just so pissed off kevin quiet quiet kevin she's not listening to me (laughs)
0: I'm leaving all this in, they love your dog. You hit the
1: scene She's is... ignoring me. Yeah. She wants you to take her for why, a walk. But anyway, the match was a technically great match. It told a great story. Johnny B bad and and Brian Pillman I'm talking about, but as, as far as a clinic and great psychology, I, I think Arnon and Rick kind of captured it here.
0: After the match, we get a bizarre prepackaged promo involving Kevin Sullivan, smashing a Hulk Hogan figure. And then we come back to the commentators who pitch to a second package. Uh, this one talks about the giant making him feel like Andre was in his face. And uh, we hear Chris Jericho's second WCW theme air briefly as background music. And in storyline, the Dungeon of Doom are hell bent on destroying Hulkamania. The Taskmaster has tried to use Vader as a pawn against Hogan, but it eventually backfires after a confrontation between Vader and the giant. And that leads us to the war games match where it's the entire dungeon and Hogan's allies that would have included Vader. But of course, Vader got fired, which we've talked about on the archives with Vader being out. Lex Luger is added as the fourth man to the team. And we go backstage and we see Hulk Hogan, Lex Luger, Randy Savage, and sting all in camouflage gear, which I got to say as a little kid, uh, would have looked really, really cool here in 95. Eh, I don't know, but, To your point, your own theme, your own brand with war games, uh, someone does need to put that version of the guys in a video game. I think that would be a hit. And in the promo, Hulk Hogan says, we all just drank a gallon of agent orange. And, uh, (laughs) I don't know if that was maybe the best thing to say, but I get the idea. And uh, Hogan says, "It's actually DTA here. Don't trust anybody. And the segment goes for a while. It almost looks like they're trying to buy time to set up the cage. But it's not even lowered when we go back to Michael Buffer. And the fireworks are blasting as the cage comes down, and there's a huge explosion that scares the shit out of everybody to the point Tony Schiavone yells, Wow, and the sounds of war. And uh, a stipulation is added. Michael Buffer says, If Hogan's team wins, he gets five minutes with the Taskmaster. It really is a stacked babyface team when you think about it. Hulk Hogan, the macho man Randy Savage, Sting, and Lex Luger all very well established main events and they're taking on zodiac shark kamala and ming
1: what the fuck dude this is crazy not i'm going to be a little careful here i want to be responsible do the right thing as best i can i i'm not i don't encourage people to partake in alcohol or (laughs) recreational drugs. I mean, I think that's fundamentally wrong. And while I'm certainly not a leader in any respect, and I'm barely even a celebrity. In fact, I think my celebrity status is down to G list at this point. But that being said, I still have a little bit of, I guess, following by virtue of the fact that we've got such a successful podcast and people that follow me on social media. So I feel the responsibility, even though I don't feel like much of a celebrity anymore, I, I, I still feel a sense of responsibility and I'm careful. I try to be careful about the things I suggest or say. And certainly suggesting that people partake in, in alcoholic beverages or recreational drugs is not something I want to make it clear is not something that I would necessarily endorse. However, I will suggest that if you're already so inclined to hit a pipe or a vape pen, maybe even just a blunt, and kick back with a cold beer or beverage of your choice and watch this craziness, I think it will open up your mind in ways that perhaps have not been opened up before. It is the craziest shit I've ever seen. I wish I would have seen this before I did the promo or before I did the uh, podcast on Kevin Sullivan's Taskmaster show, because I would have loved to get into his head for this one. It is insane. And I can only imagine, not that I partake myself, <laughs> I can only imagine what it looks like after one would perhaps hit a little bit of herb, because it is nuts it's just, I don't even know how to describe it. I don't. Well, um,
0: yeah, ultimately (laughs) yeah, (laughs) Hulk Hogan gets uh, his old pal Zodiac to submit to the camel clutch for the win. And after the match, Kevin Sullivan tries to run away, but he's brought back in for his five minutes. There's really not a lot of heat for this and it's just One time after another, Hogan slinging Kevin Sullivan's head uh, across the ring into the cages. Uh, The giant eventually does a run-in, and I got to tell you, you should go back and watch this. Of course, we all know what Paul White would go on to be. He would drop the giant moniker and become the big show and become an attraction and blah, blah, blah. But Lord, when he comes down, he looks phenomenal, first of all, but then he goes to step in the cage, he grabs the top of the War Games cage and uses it to pull his weight up over the ropes. So he jumps over. And I think, golly, that was impressive. And then as he makes his way from ring one to ring two, he just jumps over the top rope. Not steps over, jumps over the top rope, almost like a cruiserweight mind. And you think, look at the athleticism on this guy. And of course, then he breaks Hulk Hogan's neck and everyone puts him on a stretcher and it looks like Hulkamani is dead. And, uh, we're wondering if he can ever wrestle again or walk again or whatever. It gets a star and a quarter. It is an interesting spectacle because it's just very wrestle crap ish. But, dude, the giant at the end, that looks like, oh, God, this is something not of this world.
1: Yeah, no, I, th- I thought the finish was great. It was effective and it was believable, like the last 30 seconds. But everything else, and and I think, and again, I know this is my own weakness as a human being, and something that I try to overcome. But the zodiac, I mean, whatever, whatever joy it was, even possible for me to find, whatever positive elements of this match that would have been possible for me to find. However, I would want to wax nostalgic and talk about my friends who are part of this match is all completely overshadowed by how fucking nauseating it was to see the Zodiac in the ring. He killed it for me. Not that the rest of it was spectacular by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not suggesting that. Don't get me wrong. I am suggesting, however, that regardless of how good that match could have possibly been on paper or otherwise having the fucking Zodiac produce the fucking barber beefcake in that match, took it all down the sewage pipe.
0: Well, that's how I feel about that. The, uh, buffer calls for the medics come to the ringside area. Bobby Heenan's going to laugh and celebrate. And we go off the air. When it came to the readers of the Wrestling Observer, they thought Brian Pillman and Johnny B. Bad had the best match of the night. Slight margin over Flair and Anderson. I think you and I both go Flair and Anderson. If, it, if I weren't such a fan of those two guys personally in real life, et cetera, et cetera, I might could be convinced the other way, but I just grew up an old horseman fan and now I know those guys pretty well. So I'm going to go with that one, but I don't think there's a wrong answer. The readers of The Observer actually kind of liked it. They gave it 40.5% thumbs in the middle, 25% thumbs up. So if you combine those two, it's 65% middle and up, 34.5% thumbs down. There is some good stuff on this show, but Lord, there's a lot of bad stuff. When it came to the worst match, believe it or not, War Games didn't win. It was Pittman and Cobra who won that poll, followed by Harlem Heat and dick slater and bunkhouse buck war games actually came in third for worst match, which really shocked the hell out of me on paper. But watching it back
1: might've been the finish. Yeah,
0: maybe so. Yeah,
1: it's, and I think that's, and I didn't mean to interrupt you, Conrad. I know that's rude, but I I think that's an, this is an example. And I think i suggested this sometimes or alluded to it. You can have a really bad match. You can have a really average match. But if you've got a really great finish, people forget the really average match or bad match. People people forget a missed spot or something that didn't go wrong in a match or didn't go well in a match. If the finish is good. And conversely, you can have a great match with a shitty finish. And by the way, I want to go back to uh, DDP and Renegade. That's another thing that I pointed out in my notes. Is the match overall, look, context. You know, Renegade was what Renegade was. He was green at the time. So let's just agreed to agree to that. And that being said, I think overall the match was pretty decent. Um, but the finish sucked. The finish was an afterthought, which again, very consistent theme. Looking back on this show over the last couple of years, consistently, one of the things I see is even when you have a good match, More often than not, it's a shitty finish. I think the War Games match in this particular pay-per-view was was the opposite of that. The match itself, the characters in it, the ridiculous story leading up to it, all of it was marginal at best. But this finish and getting Giant over as a real scary motherfucker worked pretty well. And it allowed people to kind of forget about all the other stuff because they were excited about the Giant.
0: Well, it was, uh, quite the spectacle. Go out of your way to see it. It just knocked my socks off. What a visual. Let's get to some questions here on the show. By the way, if you've got a question for next week's show, it's easy for you to participate, just follow us over at 83 weeks and next week we're doing something that, you know, you talked about earlier, maybe enjoying a little herbal essence. How about (laughs) AWA team challenge 89 next week? That's going to be something to talk about.
1: Yeah, I think I'm going to have to head down to Denver make a quick trip
0: (laughs) let's get to some questions here ben wants to know i heard that during this time hogan was getting a sizable negative reaction especially in southern cities when did you first notice a little bit of hogan booze and what were you trying to do to mitigate them and that hogan hate inside the crowd
1: um why You know, I think the first couple of weeks, the first month or two with with Hogan being in, everybody was, even people who were kind of anti-Hulk Hogan and all that were, for the most part, fairly supportive. They were excited about seeing something different and what could be. But I think after the the new car smell wore off, so to speak, um, that you began to hear more and more of the kind of anti Hulk Hogan responses. And you know, some of that was because of, like I said, you know, last week, some of that I think was a little bit of a blowback from the steroid trials, you know, Hulk got himself into, you know, a couple tight spots with Arsenio Hall and others, you know, and, and lived to regret it. And I think there was a little bit of residual heat from that still. I think there was a good percentage of the audience. I don't know how big, I don't think anybody does. Um, but there was a, a a measurable, you know, part of the audience that just was, you know, he's a WWF guy. We're WCW, which is, you know, you kind of like that, right? You know, if you can make it work for you, which we eventually did. But um, there was some of that going on there. And, and I think there was also a percentage of the audience, I think a much smaller percentage overall, that was just like, ah, eh, been there, done that. And, and it wasn't until Hulk Hogan turned, turned heel and we launched the NWO that that same audience that was kind of like, yeah, I've been there, done that. Man, I've been watching this guy for five, eight, ten years. All of a sudden now felt like they were watching a brand new character and things changed. But up until that point – Yeah, we were noticing it to answer the question more specifically, probably after the first month or two is when it first started becoming, you know, noticeable. And I, I think I first started really noticing it at the center stage tapings because it was such a small, intimate. I mean, it was you. I think you've been there, Conrad, haven't you? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. When you're, you know, when you're, you know, where the ring was and you're just surrounded, it's kind of a bowl and it's a very steep kind of grade in the seating. You you feel like everybody's like right on top of you or right on top of each other. So whatever people are saying, thinking, feeling is, is kind of a, um, exaggerated. And that's when I first started noticing it is when he started making his entrances at center stage and you'd hear a spattering of boos and jeers. And because it was center stage, it was just so much more obvious. And then over time, it, it, it got to be more obvious until he turned.
0: Let's, uh, let's, let's talk about, um, some more questions that we got here, including one that I don't know that we've ever really talked about. Roy wants to know when you approached Hulk with turning heel, he showed you the door with that being the case, how did anybody get Hulk to agree to do the dark side of Hulkamania gimmick during the feud with Kevin Sullivan and the dungeon looking back, it seems like that was a test run.
1: It wasn't a test run, but you know, Kevin and Kevin and, and Hulk had a lot of connective tissue. You know, they were both Florida guys, um, both you know came up around a lot of the same people and a lot and were exposed to a lot of the same storylines and types of characters. And you know, I, I personally I think Hulk liked this whole Dungeon of Doom thing. It was the type of animated, you know, over the top. Yeah, I I refer to it as cartoonish, but um. That was a more natural fit for Hulk about this time than anything you know edgier would have been, and I just think that you know I don't know. I don't know how they came up with it. That's a Kevin Sullivan Hulk Hogan question that I don't think either one of them would remember <laughs> to be honest about it. But I think it was just something they came up with. But it wasn't a dry run. It wasn't a test. It wasn't a let's put our toes in the water and see how we like it. It wasn't any of that. It was a coincidence.
0: Uh Matt wants to know was there ever a chance you would put the world title on Arn and have a program with him versus Flair in a series of matches. This is actually something that Arn and I are going to discuss on an upcoming episode that we've already gotten the can, but one of our listeners wanted to know hey was it ever considered that when Arn or when Rick came back from the WWF what if Arn was champion and uh that created a different dynamic that could have led to a cool series of matches too? You know, and I know sometimes people hear Arn Anderson, world champion, what the fuck? Because he was always sort of positioned as sort of, uh, the Robin to Ric Flair's Batman. But I think if you go back and you look at say the, um, the the Harley race era, the Jack Briscoe era, the Dory funk era, Arn Anderson would have fit in like peas in a pod in that lineage of NWA world champions. It was only when flair introduced maybe a little more pomp and circumstance, a little more sizzle that maybe that changed a little bit, but was that ever something you ever gave any consideration to, or something was pitched in a meeting, just like a, what if that you recall?
1: No, uh, not that I can remember off the top of my head. Um, you know, as you were laying that scenario out, I mean, what if, when rick was coming back to wcw from the wwf i don't remember what year that was i think it was 93 92 or 93
0: yeah yeah january 93 early
1: 93 what 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 if you know given the history that those two had and the relationship and all of that what if arn you know would have been a champion when rick came back that would have been amazing yeah right it would have been awesome i wasn't booking then um, i'm not sure who was um dusty i guess and i know dusty had a ton of respect for Arn. ton of respect i just don't know why it i don't know why it didn't happen should have happened in retrospect it could have been really phenomenal um but i don't know why it didn't i can't tell you keith
0: wants to know why not have the giant be on the dungeon of doom's team in the cage Uh, I got to say, it's probably just because you want to set up Halloween Havoc. You don't want to tease these two in the ring right now. You got to pay by the pay-per-view next month for that. Right.
1: Absolutely. You know, once you've seen it, you've seen it, you're less inclined to part with hard cash to see it again. You know, you gotta, you you gotta build up the anticipation on this whole, that whole match, that entire dungeon of doom nonsense. Uh, and it was nonsense. All due respect to everybody involved, Some of whom are still good friends of mine. Um, it was nonsense. It was silliness It really wasn't that effective. I don't think anybody left satisfied as a result of it with the exception of the finish and the setup and the anticipation that Hulk Hogan and and the giant had as a result of it. That whole, that everything about this match was all designed to set up October. Let's talk
0: about what ifs for a minute. What if Vader doesn't get fired? What if Luger doesn't wind up coming in as a replacement? Would the creative have been the same? It's hard to imagine that once they're locked in a cage, that Vader would have still been an ally with Hulk Hogan. At least to me, it feels like he would have probably turned joined the dungeon of doom. And then what, then maybe Lex comes in and makes the save and then the giant, or what would it have looked like if Vader was here? Would he have tried to do the baby face thing?
1: I don't really buy that. Hard for me to me, a um, hard hard for me to imagine. Um, only because, you know, for, the number of years that I worked with Vader, even before I got into management, he was always that heel. Uh, So it's hard for me to picture him otherwise. But when you think, look, if you're sitting there with a blank slate and as long as you're in this hypothetical state of mind, that means anything is possible. If it's hypothetical, anything that you can imagine is possible. So let's just play with that for a minute, literally off the top of my head. I didn't know you were going to ask me this, but let's say you've, you've got Vader and you've got Luger, you know, Uh, And you've got Paul White. I I could see a scenario where Vader and and Hogan kind of buried the hatchet and were to team up and have it end somehow with a scenario where you're going into – as a result of it, you're going into a match with Vader and Giant – have giant go over Vader, which would put the fear of death into Hulk Hogan, the character, and would have only made the Hulk Hogan, you know, giant match mean even more. I can see something. I mean, there's a million things that could have happened, you know, if, if things would have worked out differently. But Yeah, you'd have to sit down and spend some time with it and think it through and see what your options were. But clearly, uh, you know, a Vader-Hogan giant trifecta in any way, shape, or form could have been really spectacular, especially if Vader would have been willing to put giant over. And he would have been willing. You might have had to, you know, drag him around in the back of a pickup truck for 45 minutes out in the parking lot to get him to, to agree to it. But eventually he would have. And if you could have had that match, and and put the fear of god into hogan so that he was really facing a real threat not not something just that occurred as as a result of a finish of a match but somebody that you could really look at as an andre the giant type of character i think it could have been pretty cool
0: well that's going to do it today boys and girls we hope you enjoyed fall brawl 1995 we'll be back next week for that team challenge series from the awa in 1989 uh, we're probably going to watch some of it too. So fire up your WWE network with us next week. I don't know that you need to see it without us. Uh, I'd hate to make you watch that twice. Uh, by the way, you get all these shows early and ad free. When you join us over at adfreeshows.com. and Eric, we've had a lot of fun with Eric fires back. And I know we're still working on a mean tweets concept where people who have taken shots at you over the years on Twitter, you're going to fire back.
1: Not just celebrities, but fans alike. Uh, but you're doing a well, lot. Let's let's touch on that out just a little bit. Cause I've been dying to do this. And, and I know you want me to do it, Conrad, and I feel guilty because I haven't lived up to your expectations in terms of my contribution to AdFreeShows.com. And that worries me. It, it weighs on me heavily. So I'm trying to figure out a way to do these mean tweets. But I have to say I need to – material to work with folks. You got to send me something good. Use your imagination. If you're going to hate on me, hate on me with some imagination and some pizzazz, bring something to the fucking table. If you're going to mean to eat me. Come on, I need the material to work with. I know a lot of you people out there still deep down inside. You're Dave Meltzer loyalist. You just think I'm the scum of the earth. And I've never had but one good idea in my entire life. And if it wasn't for Ted Turner's money, I would have been a blip on anybody's wrestling radar. Well, I got news for you. You're full of shit. But if you disagree strongly enough, grab your sack, grab your phone, send a tweet. But make it good. And I promise I'll play. I'd love to play. Just send me something that's playable. <laughs> I love when you're looking
0: for heat. Eric Bischoff wants all the smoke at E Bischoff on Twitter. Uh, check us out over at adfreeshows.com. Lots of fun stuff. We've done some virtual meet and greets. You've done lots of fun interactive. Zoom party things. You got a locked and loaded coming in. You've rebooked pay per views. We're big on experiences and relationships and developing a sense of community. We've even recently added a Discord element. Uh, so now you can actually log in and chat with all of our other members about what's going on in wrestling. And it's become like a fun watch along thing. The guys are watching Raw together and SmackDown together and AEW together, et cetera, et cetera. There's even little rooms. You know, here's your AEW discussion, here's your NXT discussion. And then of course, pod specific stuff, lots of fun stuff coming your way over at adfreeshows.com shows.com. Don't miss out uh, until next time. He is at E Bischoff. I am at, Hey, Hey, it's Conrad and we are out of time. We'll see you next week for the AWA team challenge series from 1989, right here on 83 weeks with Eric Bischoff. Hey, you love the show, right? We'll show off that love with a
3: shirt from ericbischoff.com or get your gimmick at boxagimmics.com, of The official store of 83 weeks, posters, hats, tumblers, accessories, and more
0: boxagimmicks.com. There's no better time to say, I love you. And the most hated jeweler in America is at it again. You've heard us say, I hate StevenSinger.com, And you've heard us rave about his famous roses, but Steven singer has been selling diamonds and bridal jewelry for four decades. Whether you have someone or something to celebrate, Stephen is there for you. Ready to take the next step? Stephen has a ready-for-love engagement ring collection that's no hassle, no risk, expertly picked engagement rings that are ready to go. Don't worry. Stephen won't let you mess this up. He's been selling online for over two decades, but recently he's kicked everything up a notch to better serve his friends and guests online. He has real expert jewelers on call to help you find the perfect ring or gift through new virtual video appointments, calls, texts, chats, or emails, all with extended hours. On top of that, he offers the best guarantee in the business with a full 100-day, 100% money-back guarantee and free shipping. Interest-free financing is available online, too, and that's just the beginning. Gifts that say I love you every single day backs with decades of experience in the comfort of your own home? It's easy. Just go to IHateStevenSinger.com, fast, free, and safe shipping. Steven Singer Jewelers. That's IHateStevenSinger.com.
2: Hey, Patrick, if you don't mind, would it be okay if I recorded this conversation? Yeah, no problem. Awesome. I'd love to be able to use our conversation for all of Conrad's podcasts.
0: I've been telling you for a long time that SaveWithConrad.com can save you money, but don't take my word for it. Awesome.
2: Okay, so what made you come to Save With Conrad in the first place? The time just seemed right. Me and my wife just had a baby, and we were looking to trim some costs and it seemed like a good time to pull the trigger and see at the very least you know what we could get from from conrad to better our you know monthly
1: rate and just to save a little bit of money
2: was there something specific that he said that really made you want to take that step every time on the podcast ads when he said hey skip your next two house payments i'm going well that just sounds perfect i can build up for two months that, that always seemed appealing, and this time it had me sold. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's hard to turn away the chance at saving money. Now, through the whole process and everything that you just shared with me, um, was there anything that we could improve? Maybe um, do better in the future? Um, I'll, I'll be honest with you, like, just in terms of anything I could, you know, say improve, I mean, that one I can't really think of because all the things that I just said were positive, that's the thing that a lot of other companies don't necessarily always have. Um, how much money was Save with Conrad able to save you guys? At the very least, um, it dropped my rate by an entire point, uh, percentage point, and we save about, you know, a little over a hundred dollars or so a month. It's not just right ad. If you could tell any of our listeners, anything about say with Conrad or encourage them, what would you tell them? I would say, um, take advantage of the ad. It, you know, everything that is said that you hear on those ads is true. So what are you waiting for?
0: Find out how much money you can save right now for free. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. Even credit scores in the five hundreds can be approved. And if we can't save you money, we won't waste your time. But because we're licensed in more than 40 states, we can help more families than ever before. Find out how much money you can save right now for free at SaveWithConrad.com. Oh, and did I mention you could skip your next two house
1: payments? Hurry
0: to SaveWithConrad.com.
1: N-M-L-S, number 65084, Equal Housing Lenders, woo!